0: And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into this Wednesday edition of Sports Call
1: Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy, the host of this show Today, I've got Cam Berry and Tom Peavy with me for the full three hours on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon. In just a moment, we are going to be joined by Auburn Men's Basketball Head Coach Bruce Pearl on our Orthopedic Clinic phone line. That is coming up any moment now, Uh, so we're looking forward to chatting with Coach Bruce Pearl in just a moment. At 5.15 today, Joe Bartle of Rotowire will be with us again to preview the NFL playoffs uh, and, again, put a wrap on the regular season and that sort of thing. Look ahead to the NFL postseason. There is a lot to still talk about with, of course, Auburn basketball after the win last night. Of course, with the transfer portal and Auburn Tiger, another Auburn Tiger taking their name out of the portal last night. Of course, more on OC and DC searches. Uh, and, of course, we yesterday we in the uh, shortened show, we were not able to get uh, to a full rundown of the national title game monday night so there is still a lot to talk about here on this wednesday afternoon if you want to give us a call on the orthopedic clinic phone line 334-887-3401 locally or toll free 1-888-9-TIGER-9 is how you can join the show again in just a couple moments expected to be joined by bruce pearl in the meantime cam Barry, tom Peavy, how are you fine guys doing today
2: I'm doing great. Uh, good Wednesday, and we're just uh, hanging out. Excited to talk with Coach Bruce Pearl uh, about the team. They have been on a serious stretch uh, of of success. What uh, I think we're uh, Auburn's riding what an eight game win streak, seven game win streak, something along the lines right. of that. So, we're playing some really, really good quality basketball. Uh, So definitely excited to talk with Coach Bruce Pearl about that. The game last night, a great win. The Texas A&M always gives Auburn some challenges. So uh, to be able to get over that first hump is really uh, something uh, I bet Auburn, you know, is very happy about. Uh, Texas A&M just gives so many fits, especially when it comes to defense. Bruce Pearl talked about that. I mean, they took away 75% of the playbook is what he said. And Auburn was still able to find some success within uh within the half court offense and and even though they struggled at the back half texas they were i mean it's not like texas a and m was scoring in a high clip either they were able to hold them to 55 points so it was very impressive Uh, a great win to start off the uh to to get game two in conference play and uh and just keep going you, you go and uh, play against LSU at home this weekend and that'll be another good matchup but yeah I'm doing great and uh ready to talk all things basketball with you guys and a little bit of
1: football as well absolutely Tom P. Yeah. how are you on this Wednesday
3: I I'm great and uh yeah that was a huge win for Auburn last night <clears throat> oh you know we talked about a, a lot of things with that uh kind of previewing it and um uh, you know I I said that it, it they're not gonna beat every team like they did Arkansas. It's not gonna be a thirty point win. That there is gonna be games that they're gonna have to find ways to win. They're gonna have to grind out wins, and that's what last night was. Uh, it, it was a grind it out, just tough get it done against a very very good ball club. A lot of people forget Texas A M was picked second in the league preseason. All right, so that's that's how good people expect Texas A M to be is number two in the sec. So this was not like Vanderbilt coming in here and giving Auburn a problem. This is one of the better teams in the conference coming in here and, and they played neck and neck with Auburn. Uh, just, it was like Auburn just never could seem to pull away from them. And it, and it got a little dicey there in the second half. Uh, I'm sure Steve was having to pop the heart pills that we talked about. Cause yeah, you know, a had a lead and it just, like, Auburn just could not seem to get that pull away run that they needed and then uh, Auburn just played pure shutdown defense. About after the nine, uh, about nine minutes till the end, A and M didn't have a basket. So uh, yeah, huge, huge win, huge win uh, against a team that is very good and a team that has given Bruce Pearl and Auburn absolute fits for the last several years. It wasn't pretty, but it's a win, and and sometimes that's just how it has to be. Uh, the championship championship caliber teams find ways to win. They don't beat everybody by thirty points. There's games that they should have lost that they find ways to get it. Uh, that's what this team has done. I, I feel like there's something very special about this team. It, it's it's a it's a weird feeling um, because even some of Auburn's really good teams, you could sit there and point out glaring, like flashing red light, glaring deficiencies that you're just like, Lord, if, if we can just avoid having to shoot three-pointers because they can't, they can't buy three, or Lord, I hope we can stay off the free throw line because if they start fouling us and put us at the line, we cannot hit a free throw. Those types of glaring deficiencies, I have not seen any of that with this team. Um, they are deep. They, they've got a secondary five that could easily start, and so that plays into the great – uh, they're not the greatest three-point shooting team, but they're also not abysmal. They definitely hit enough threes to keep things going. They're actually really good at the free-throw line. They're, they are can be very dominant on the inside. They can be dominant at the perimeter. You've got one guy now that is playing like an SEC player of the year caliber. Uh, there's just not that glaring thing that you see with this team that that scares you right now. Um I just hope that they can keep that consistency, and that's the thing. So far, it's been consistent. I just hope there's not a huge drop-off somewhere.
1: Yeah, as expected, Texas A&M did did clearly test Auburn last night. That's the first time Auburn has had to deal with some sort of adversity in the second half, really since the Appalachian State game in the first of December. I mean, the way that they were blowing teams out, I know that USC was kind of still in the game for a little while, but it was nothing to the degree of last night, and, of course, Auburn trailed very early at Bud Walton Arena, but quickly erased that, had a seven-point halftime lead, and, and put the pedal to the metal pretty early in the second half there. So this is the first time Auburn's had a, a game really hanging in the balance in the last nine, ten minutes since that Appalachian State game. So it was very curious to see what they would do rotation-wise towards the end of the game, how players would respond. Uh, obviously, it was not an offensive game, Uh, juggernaut of a game and I think that's good news because we are deep enough into this season for me and I think everyone to agree here Auburn's a really good offensive team like like they're not going to struggle to get to 80 points uh, very often they're going to be able to get that 75 80 number even in conference play I think several times Uh, it is good news to not be able or not lose excuse me a game that you did shoot really poorly from three that you did only have one made field goal in the last five or so minutes and that you had stretches of the game that were amongst some of the sloppier moments of Auburn basketball this season. This season, this season, this team has taken uh, incredible care of the ball. 12 turnovers in the scope of college basketball is not this huge number. It's it's teetering on starting to get to, to be above average, but it's not awful. Uh, but we've seen this team have five, six, seven turnovers time after time this year. So even going up to 12 was a bit below their expectation. However, they turned Texas A&M over 19 times and therefore uh, doubled up Texas A&M in points off a turnover. So uh, they did a lot of things last night when they were not at their best offensively uh, that really was conducive to showing you that this team can win in a lot of different ways. We know this team is deep. We know this team is very balanced. Uh, We know that this team has already improved in a lot of ways just from that Baylor game. So uh, I think that this team uh, has already shown uh, that it's made a lot of great strides already, and there's no one better to talk about the great strides that this team is already making this season than the head men's basketball coach of Auburn University, Coach Bruce Pearl, who is joining us right now on the show. Coach Pearl, we certainly thank you for the time today. How are things in your world?
4: Ryan, Tom, Cam, doing fine. Uh, you know, it's great to be an Auburn Tiger.
1: Absolutely. And so, Coach, we obviously got to chat with you a little bit before the season, and we'll talk a little bit about last night's game. But first I wanted just to tell, uh, ask you a little bit about something we talked in that first interview, about defense, because that last night struck me as a game that uh, a, a team that's not good and solid defensively probably does not hang on to win. What have you seen from your team defensively and how they've grown since that Baylor game?
4: Well, I think they, they took the challenge this summer and the early fall and we evaluated ourselves. And and, and, and that's the first thing you got to do as a coach is you've got to evaluate your own team and then, you know, talk to your team on here's how I would play us and here's what, here's what our weaknesses are. And, and then, you know, can we do anything about it? And, uh, you know, like last night uh, we knew we were going up against a couple of great guards, um, you know, and, and Wade Taylor and Therese Radford. And uh, those guys had both actually, you know, scorched us, um, you know, um, uh, last year. And um, and I challenged our guards in, 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 in a big, big way, take advantage of the opportunity of guarding a guy like Taylor, the preseason player of the year. And, uh, you know, Taylor was two for 16, um, one assist and two turnovers. You know, Radford was, was four for 13. Um, you know, we just – they did a great job, led by, um, um, you know, Katie Johnson, um, you know Denver Jones, uh, Chad Baker. I thought those three guards in particular, um, you know, were were really effective. And I thought all the guys, you know, worked really, really hard. The fact that Aiden and Trey have improved so much defensively from the start of the season. Chris Moore's always and Leora are always so both physical and in the right spots. And if we can continue to do that, our front line, you know, can be uh, assist us with verticality at the rim, um, you know, defense and rebounding tra- travel. And we'll be able to be teams on the road uh, with that. And so, uh, guys, we're just getting started. But obviously, uh, um, you know, we're off to a good start.
2: Coach, looking at Jalen Williams, he's scored 20 or more points in three out of the last five games for you guys. Um, how, does his aggression really open up the floor for everybody else when he's really hunting his shot?
4: Well, I think Jalen is the you know, 50th senior. He's the winningest basketball player in the history of Auburn basketball. Um, it's his time. And, uh, you know, again, this summer he was once again very, very much the same Jalen Williams that we've always seen, really good, but not, not aggressive enough, and um, and uh, just not as engaged. And he is, you know, he's playing like a senior. Um, he's playing like, you know, he's playing like one of the best players on one of the best teams. Now, let's see if that's going to you know We're only two games into this. We've got 16 more games to go. But I do think it's a mindset. And the thing I love about what Jalen's doing it, he's doing it with great productivity, he's doing it with great efficiency, and he's doing it very unselfishly.
3: Coach, uh, before you came on the air, we were talking about, uh, I was talking specifically about this team and how something feels different about this team, something feels a little special about this team. Some of your past teams, even with star-studded lineups and teams that were ranked number one and these things, there were always some very glaring deficiencies that I even – I said it was like flashing red light deficiencies. You were just like, oh, gosh, you know, we've got to avoid this. This team doesn't feel like it has that right now, but I know you as a coach look at these things. Where are some areas of this team that you're looking at that you need to improve if you want to become a championship caliber team.
4: There's no way I'm going to be telling you on the air what I think our
5: deficiencies are. Okay,
4: look, I, 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 I know what she looks like without makeup on. Okay, so I gotcha. there's no way I'm going to share. It's it a great question, but, but uh, I'm going to, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to let our opponents figure that out.
3: Okay. I, I I and I appreciate <laughs> as a, as an Auburn fan I appreciate that.
1: <laughs> so, Coach Pearl, when we look at the way that you handle this roster of ten or eleven guys that are capable of playing uh, heavy minutes, how do you talk about those? Uh, how do you talk to those guys about uh, the fact that there's going to be? Uh, a lot of different guys playing there's going to be some sequences where you don't play but just a couple minutes at a time how 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 what kind of character does that take to be willing to be a part of that and then also just again how do you handle that with some guys that that have the ability to play a lot of minutes
4: well part of it was the way they were recruited and uh, you know there are some guys that i don't get recruiting because i can't handle the truth and uh, <laughs> my assistant coaches oftentimes um, have asked me coach could you just Lie a little, uh, and tell this kid and his family he's going to play a little bit more than what what he's really going to play, or you know prom, you know demonstrate what the opportunity is. But I tell you what, if you can be honest with kids, if you tell them the truth, um, and if you don't lie to them, they'll be loyal to you, and they'll they'll, they'll accept the roles. they and as long as they also understand, look, I'm going to let you play your way in or out of this role. You're going to get the opportunity, and it starts every spring when the season's over. All bets are off. And uh, as long as they know that, and they know they're being treated fairly, they'll buy in. Look, Jabari Smith played 28 minutes a game. Not 30, not 32, not 35, but for the 28 minutes that he was out there, he was his motor was running. That was a question mark. He was defending. That was a question mark. Could he put the ball down the floor a little bit? That was a question mark. They thought he was just a jump shooter. Well, by playing him 27, 28 minutes a game instead of 35, he was able to play at a better pace And and be productive, and and obviously it it, it allows you to have a happier locker room, um, and it allows you to be able to withstand you know injury or foul trouble. Coach, uh, look every 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 coach every coach has got guys on their bench, you know, and and even more so in some other places that were five star players or that were really good players, whatever. It's their choice not to play them. Like like you know, I I love when 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 sometimes. Color guys talk about the the luxury we have with all this depth. Well, part of the luxury is because we've developed the depth. Part of the luxury is we've we worked at it. And um, and every coach has got thirteen guys on scholarship. They just only play seven or eight.
3: Uh, coach, uh, you know, you would not, uh, which I appreciate, you would not answer <laughs> about deficiencies. One thing that is not a deficiency is the atmosphere. That that is around auburn basketball <laughs> coach williams uh last night really talked about it i mean he was incredible the way that he talked about the crowd last night i will let you brag instead of a deficiency <laughs> i will let you brag about this auburn fan base and what is yeah. happening inside neville arena every time you guys step on the floor
4: well it's it is special it's different you know auburn is a crazy wonderful amazing place and what does make it amazing is the kids that decide to go here and you've heard the expression "iron sharpens iron," and this whole thing about an Auburn man—it's Auburn, real. It's just flat out real. Like you know, the most popular thing to do if you're a student at Auburn, it's like go to Bible study and get closer to the Lord. Like that's popular and that is cool. And the second best thing might be being in the jungle at Jordan Hare Stadium or Neville Arena. I mean, it is—it is—it is about the kids that we have coming here. They love Auburn. Uh, they love their—they love their fellow students. Um, they love their university. Um, and, you know, we, are, we pride ourselves on being an everything school. And um, I, I, I don't know. I, at the same time, I sit back and I go, you know what? If I'm in that situation uh, and I see a guy like Jordan, you know, J- Jalen Williams, you know, flying around like he does or KD or, you know, you know Aiden Holloway or different guys that we've had over the years play, um, you know, there's a responsibility for us to play hard, for us to be entertaining, and for us to win and uh it's like the chicken and the egg what comes first you know you got to win to get the fans to come and uh, uh and, but once they start coming it helps you win
1: talking to auburn basketball coach bruce pearl today on sports call a couple more quick questions for coach pearl coach Katie Johnson and Dylan Cardwell, two guys that are veterans on your squad, two guys that have always kind of felt like a bit of the spiritual leaders of your team. They have been ever more productive throughout this season. Dylan's had some of his best games as an Auburn Tiger. Katie Johnson's been very consistent as of late. What are you getting from those guys right now? And just again, what what has kind of made the difference in their games?
4: Well, I think, I think confidence and maturity um, in so many ways. You know, Dylan... Dylan is, is, is really a very good NBA prospect. He's one of our better NBA prospects because he's big, he moves really, really well, and he's found a way to use those two assets on the basketball court. Um, he finishes at the – look, what did Walker Kessler do? He defend, He protects the rim. Um, he rebounds the basketball. Uh, he is good in the air uh, on the offensive end. Um, and now Dylan's making his free throws. Um you know he's he's got he's got a really really good future ahead of him. Um, his confidence has has obviously soared since he's been at Auburn. Um, he's one of our leaders on campus. He's not just a leader of the student athletes. He's one of the one of the biggest leaders of our, in the student body, um, and just an amazing amazing one young man. Um, and then KD, he's just been um, he's just been more coachable. He's just been more mature. Um, he, he's just been more trusting. And so his assist turnover ratio, his shooting percentages, um, you know, last night he locked up Wade Taylor, and Wade Taylor was the preseason player of the year, and he and Denver and our guards, you know, helped Wade Taylor to, you know, two for 16 shooting, 0 for 8 from 3, um, one assist, two turnovers. That takes some doing, and, and, and that buy-in um, has been really, really good for Katie, and he's doing it coming off the bench, um, and uh, just been—he's just a great teammate.
1: And then, Coach, we'll wrap up with this in about a month from now. Auburn takes on Kentucky inside of Neville <clears throat> Arena, but it, more importantly, it's the Outlive game. We know that Outlive is something very important to you. It's something that you've uh, really championed here in your time at Auburn. Talk a little bit about what that means to you, what that game will mean to you, and just how everyone can get involved.
4: Well, you know, what? if I if I told you guys that um, that I I have a way. If you would give me, if you would give me twenty dollars, that I've got a way to get that twenty dollars to a family in the state of Alabama that's battling cancer, but they're in a financial situation where they can't afford the medicine that's been prescribed to them. Would you give me twenty? Would you give me twenty bucks to be able to give to that family?
3: Yes. Yes. Absolutely. In a
4: heartbeat. Absolutely. In, in a heartbeat. heartbeat. Yep. In a heartbeat. And so that's what Outlive is. Because the way to outlive your cancer is detect it early. That's number one. So it's an awareness campaign. But number two, we provided last year uh, a quarter of a million dollars to about 10 hospitals and medical facilities throughout the state of Alabama that know the patients that, that are having a hard time paying their mortgage because um, they, they got sick you know, going through that chemo and they had to miss work. And when they don't go to work, they don't get paid. And that's where the money goes. And so, by you know going online, and you know going online and and, and looking at Outlive, um, you know, or the Bruce Pearl Family Foundation, a hundred percent of any donation I give get goes right directly to a patient. And then every penny we receive from the from the profits we make from selling those T-shirts um, goes right to a patient. So. Yes, please. You know, come to Neville Arena, buy your T-shirts. Go online, buy your T-shirts. You know, go go online and make a make a contribution to Outlive or to Bruce Pearl Family Foundation, and I promise it's going to do some good for some family that's really in need.
1: He's Auburn men's basketball coach Bruce Pearl today on Sports Call. Coach, we certainly appreciate the time. We know you're a very busy man, but we appreciate the time and we look forward to following the team all season long.
4: Well, let's hope we can guys can keep it going with God's blessing, and appreciate the work that you guys do, War Eagle,
1: War Eagle coach, War Eagle coach. That is Coach Bruce Pearl today on Sports Call. Certainly appreciate Coach Pearl for spending some time with us. We're going to head to our first commercial break of the show. When we come back, more Sports Call right after this.
0: You're listening to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. I'm Deshaun Davis, former Auburn Tigers football
6: player and all-SEC linebacker. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
1: Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Cam Berry with you here. T.P. Hammock is running the board, taking phone calls today for us. Certainly appreciate him for that. And we appreciate Bruce Pearl for joining us on the other side of that timeout. If you missed that, you can go and check it out on the Sports Call podcast. We're available wherever you may get your podcast. It's presented by coca Cola. Good chatting with Coach Bruce Pearl about a little bit about the game last night, about his team overall so far here in the 2023-2024 campaign. As the Tigers pulled it out last night against Texas A&M 66-55, I described it to one of my buddies after the game last night as one of the closest double-digit games yeah. uh, you can ever think of because it was yeah, uh, right. the largest lead was obtained by Auburn at the end when it became an 11-point game. It was played within about an 8-point Uh, spectrum for the entirety of the game until the last few seconds. So it was a close one. Uh, We talked about Auburn's offensive struggles at times, uh, turning the ball over a little bit more, certainly not shooting the three well. Uh, Do want to credit them for the foul line too, though, 21-26. Jani Broome in particular, a guy that's been down in the 50s from a percent-wise this year, was 8 of 10. And look, those all add up. You might not think much of it in an 11-point game, but think of it in a 4- and 5-point game there down the stretch when they were hitting some of those free throws uh, to extend the lead out to 6, to 8, to 10, 11. So uh, those were a very big part of it. Uh, Tom, you mentioned to me a little bit during the break and to Cam about the rebounding. We talked a little bit yesterday about uh, Texas a number one in the country in offensive rebounding.
0: And
3: they showed. Uh,
1: and, and they and they showed why. They were very active, scrapping the gra- uh, the glass uh, in that game. They were able uh, to out-rebound Auburn overall in the game, but particularly, again, with the offensive rebounding, that was something that uh, the Tigers struggled with. I'll tell you, though, from watching that game, just absolute tooth-and-nail clawing going on down down, uh, down low. They did not call, they being the officials, many fouls in the first half. In fact, I don't think anyone got to the bonus until about a minute 40, minute 50 left. So they were really letting them scrap. Uh, in the second half, they obviously called a lot more. But, I mean, Texas A&M would send like three, four people to the glass every single time. Someone right. was on the floor. <laughs> I mean, bodies Seriously. were everywhere. Flying. Uh, but so with all of that, so Texas A&M gets 19 offensive rebounds to Auburn's eight. Uh, and again, the second chance points, which Tom pointed out during the break, it was what, 10 to 1? 10
3: to one second in favor of AM. But 10 see, to 1 second chance points.
1: But see, here's my reasoning for why that ain't bad. If you get 19 offensive rebounds, that means you got 19 extra shots out there. And out of all that, you only got 10 points. Yeah, You know, if you even make t- uh, nine of those 19, that's 18 points. Yeah. So what that told me is that Auburn did a, t- a good job in two ways even after allowing the rebound. They didn't allow wide open con- uh, kick out threes because offensive rebounding threes are, are killer and they happen a lot because everyone's kind of crashed down. Someone's still outside in the perimeter. You kick it out, boom, wide open. Struggling shooting teams can get their best looks that way. So they didn't give up many of those. And then, secondly, it means that look, even if AM got the rebounds, they were having to go to the floor. They were being contested because, look, if they're wide open, rebounds they just go right up and put them up again put them in and Henry Coleman's a big dude they had one or two other bigger players Anderson Garcia uh, yeah Garcia they just put it right back up and in well because it was so contested somebody's already there so look I'm not saying that Auburn did an amazing job because look they still got out rebounded by 11 offensive rebounds but what they did was it did not break apart their defense. Their defense stayed intact. They didn't drop their head. They were still in good positions. They just didn't win all those 50-50 balls. They didn't win their win those battles, but they did battle for them, and that put them in a good position to survive a second and third shot opportunity. A&M on the night shot 29% from the floor, which is pretty damn hard to be that horrible without – Really, really good Auburn defense. I mean, the types of floaters and tough mid-range shots that guys like Tyrese Radford and Wade Taylor were having to shoot. Wade Taylor is a hell of a lot better than two of 16. Right, absolutely. I think he averaged in 17, 18 18, points a game. 18. Uh, He's way better than that. Uh, But Auburn made every shot difficult. Uh, Tyrese Radford has been way better against Auburn than four thirteen.
0: 13 Absolutely. Uh, the
1: only player that truly played well for them was Henry Coleman. He got two or three and ones in the second half. That's the momentum part of the game when uh, Texas A&M, well, I think, took their their lone second-half lead briefly. Uh, when they took a two-point lead there about midway through the second half, Henry Coleman had a couple and ones, so he did some work there. Uh, but But Auburn, again, just as a defense – It's such a good job, and that's why it was the very first question I asked Coach Pearl a moment ago, because that was the worry for this team. They gave up 80-something points against Baylor. Like It did look, as Coach Pearl said, it did look rough at the beginning of the season, now, I'm struggling to tell you what they don't do well defensively. Again, you can poke at the rebounding, but A&M is the very best in the country at right. that one thing, yeah. and they still only got 10 second chance points out of it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. To to hold them to just 10 sec, second chance points, that's absolutely huge. And you know, I, I was talking with Tom then and, and uh it, if defense is the concern at this point in the season, then I I would say that's pretty good, honestly. Um the defense was um they're they're just so connected on defense, right? You know that's really what defense is all about when it comes to basketball. It's about talking, constant communication. You know, just watching. I w- I wasn't able to watch the full game, but I did watch the first half of the game, and they just switched so well they are connected on defense you're able i mean even just in 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 man-to-man and different things like that that the they're playing so well They're, they're communicating so well on defense and you need that just going down the stretch because obviously we know this auburn team has the ability to score in plethora of ways Uh, at a high clip but on the defensive side of the ball if they can stay this connected and really hold teams that can score pretty well like like uh, like Texas A&M they can score at a pretty decent clip if you can hold a team like that just to 55 points and you can you can continue to improve and do different things like that on defense you are set up for
1: success in a very very big way and then let's talk about balance one more moment too before we move on so something I've been doing Rather than maybe focus on one individual, because, look, there's going to be individuals that have bad games, and Mm -hmm. and there's two or three really bad performances last night, just objectively speaking. I've been focusing on the duo and the tandem at each position. Now, there was one position last night, and that was the small forward position that did not tandem out well. But it usually has this year, and I'll tell you why in a second. But looking last night, like you can find one of the tandem at almost all five positions that struggled last night. So at point guard, right, you have Aiden Holloway, who hits two bombs to start the game, didn't score the rest of the game. And then Trey Donaldson, who was off with his shot a little bit. He was one of five. But still, in the aggregate, the two combined for 10 points, 7 assists. Okay, that's not their best outp- output. That is not at all what they're just capable of. They're capable of, each individual's capable of that in a game. But, okay, when I aggregate that out, all of a sudden, I don't hate the point guard play as much. It was not the best. They are far better than that. Right. It's below their standard. But 10 points and 7 assists and 3 turnovers kill is not going to be killer. It's still going to keep you in it. All right, shooting guard. All right. Denver Jones had tough nights. 0 for 4, had a couple wide-open looks in the second half. 0 for Uh, 3.
3: 0 for 3 from beyond the arc. Yeah, Yeah.
1: but 0 for 4 from the floor, had a couple wide-open looks in the second half, only had the two points from the foul line. However, his shooting guard uh, pair – uh, his uh, teammate K.D. Johnson, had 14. So in the aggregate, the shooting guard position gave you 16 points. That puts you in a position to win. The small forward is the position that struggled last night. Chris Moore did not score, and then Chad Baker-Mazzara had an off night. He was one for six. There have been plenty of times, though, where baker has had 13-15, 16, and then Chris yeah. Moore has three or four, and right. that's fine, and there you go. You're in the 18-20. So th- that did not hold up as in the bargain, although Bruce Pearl talked about Chad Baker-Mazzara's defense with us a few minutes ago. Power forward position. Chaney Johnson was uh, had a really, 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 rough five minutes he only played five minutes yeah <laughs> he went over three he missed an open layup he fouled three times and he turned the ball over twice Janie Johnson had a bad five minutes of basketball last night however Jalen Williams had a really 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 good <laughs> 35 minutes of basketball right. where he scored 22 points and had eight rebounds so you got 22 points out of the power forward spot and then at center Janai Broom and Dylan Cardwell they combine a little lighter on the point end for some uh, J- uh, Jani Broom performances with 10 because he only had one field goal, but he made his free throws. And so combined, 16 points and what's that? 12 rebounds. So, again, you in the aggregate, you got 16 and 12 out of your bigs. And, again, this is a game where Auburn scored in the mid-60s. If you got a normal small forward performance, you get tw- 10 to 12 points out of those two guys. That's how you're up to 78 or 80. So as, as ugly as it looked offensively, I think the tandem still worked. That's why they do what they do. And when you add these, these two players at each position together, yeah. that shows you the tremendous balance they had. Last thing I want to talk about with the game. I think I said last thing with balance, but I keep thinking of more things. Um, <laughs>
2: one last thing. One is last thing.
1: Closing lineup. Because that is something when you play a lot of players, that can actually be something that makes it a tough decision. Who do you play uh, at the very end of the game. And I know this example will not make a lot of sense to many people. I'm going to say it anyway. I'm in basketball mode. Golden State has a huge problem with this in the NBA right now. They play like 10 or 11 players. They can't figure out if they should put three point guards on the floor at the same time. They can't figure out they need three wings. They can't figure out how to how to close a game. You missed the Hamptons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so – they have a problem because they only have one or two clear dudes and the rest of their team is all too close together. Sometimes when teams are too close together, it gets hard to make that decision on a game-to-game basis, and it changes on a game-to-game basis, and that can be a risk in itself. But what Auburn did last night, they went a lot of Trey Donaldson late in that game. Uh, now, Donaldson was not having his best performance from a – uh, again, from a shooting standpoint. It was one of five. But I think they like that he has been in these games a few more times than Aiden Holloway. I think they like this, still these six assists. He did have three turnovers, a little high for him, but still two-to-one ratio. And I think that then maybe they didn't want Aiden Holloway at the end of the day to shoot a 30-footer. Uh, in, a, in a quick in shot a clock, situation. And, and, and so yeah. I think they were protecting against that. So that was one decision they made. They still played about the same, Hallway eighteen thirty eight, and Donaldson over 21 minutes. So, again, that's pretty similar, but it was interesting. Of the last 12 or so minutes of the game, Donaldson played 9 or 10 of them. The other decision they did make was Denver Jones got benched at the very end the last four minutes below on Katie Johnson, and that made sense based on how By they were hand. playing. Denver having right. a tough game, Katie playing well. So my question to you would be this. Are there any players, and there might be two or three, but are there any players for you two guys that you feel no matter how they're playing need to be on in the last four minutes of a close game, or is it simply results based in that game?
2: I would say Jalen. Yeah, I, I would say Jalen and and uh, maybe Janai. Those are probably the the two <clears throat> the two bigs. I would probably say. They are are who I really wanted to consistently be in that closing lineup. Everybody else, though, is pretty fluid, I would say. It it would be performance based, but those two, I'd really prefer that they, especially Jalen. Janai can be a little hit or miss sometimes, but. I still trust him because he's still the leading scorer of this team, and so he will be able to get a bucket and, and, and things like that when necessary. Um, but those two, Jalen and Jani for sure. I, I'll i say
3: that I because I think that's the easiest answer is to say Jalen and Jani because, I mean, like I said earlier, Jalen's playing it uh, – Jalen is playing like a, like a guy that's trying to get SEC Player of the Year honors. I mean, he's at that just crazy elite level right now. And then Jani is – I mean, yeah, that – So, obviously, yeah, you want those two guys guys in there. Honestly, uh, outside of those two, I would say Aiden Holloway. Uh, I just – I feel like – and especially if you've got a game where it's kind of nip and tuck and maybe you need something to happen special, I I feel like Aiden might be that guy that – even if he's struggling like he did in this game, I still feel like he's a guy that can make something happen if you need it. And I just – I like him in there at the point. Uh, I I just do. I I I feel feel very comfortable with him at the point.
1: I I feel you. Do do you want to go ahead? Yeah. I like Aiden. I'm not to the point with Aiden, though, where he should be in there no matter what. Yeah. And the question (laughs) is more about those guys and and how they're playing that game. And I think we've seen enough out of Aiden where we know the absorbently high ceiling that he has. Right. But there are times in games where Trey Donaldson runs offense better. Yes, uh, sure. You know, and and I think last night that's why they went to Donaldson, because they felt, look, he did have a couple turnovers, but Hallway only had one assist last night in his 19 or so minutes, and Donaldson had six. I think they felt better against the type of defense A&M had to put Donaldson in that position to run offense. So I, I, I don't agree. disagree that the hope is that right. Holloway can be that guy. But I also think that Trey Donaldson is really damn good too and that it's a close enough battle to where Hallway's got to be kind of in that game playing well. So so yeah. so
3: here, so here's how I'm going to pose this question. This is why I go Aiden. Now, obviously, I think it with that point guard position, I think it's kind of a uh, performance base. Like, who is doing better at the time that you want in there? But if we're talking second half of the game – and you're getting down close to the game. If you have just spent the entire game with with uh, sound reducing headphones and a blindfold, and you have not looked at any stats, you don't know the score. You don't know anything about anything that has happened with that game whatsoever. And they're like, pick a point guard for the end of the, for the end of the game. With, with like I... I said, you know absolutely zilch about what has happened in that about game. what has happened. But I still know about the players, right? You, I, just I, what I, you know with the players, okay. but but that particular game, you are 100% blind to any stats, any performance-based, anything that okay. has happened in that game. I say Aiden Holloway.
2: So, I would still lean Trey Donaldson. Really? Okay. Because... because- Trey's feel debate, for the game, Tray's feel for the game is really, really good. Right. And, and like like Ryan said, he runs offense sometimes better than better than Aiden yeah. does. Sometimes Aiden, you know, those thirty foot bombs are great and they're nice when they go in. Sure. But sometimes situationally and feel for the game wise i mean i think that's really why like what ryan said i think that's why he wasn't in the game at crunch time because sometimes his feel for the moment of the game you know it's like yes if that goes in that's a dagger that's amazing but if it doesn't go in that's sure. not a good shot, and that's that's right there it's at that the, point. Oh no in time. no yes yes right. yes no no right. no right. No. You yeah. don't even want that risk. Trey's not ever going to take that risk. Right. He's going to run the offense the way that it's supposed to be run. The shot is going to find whoever it's supposed to find, and it's going to go in. So I would still lean Trey Donaldson at that point. No. It, he, I, I just think Aiden's young. I, I that's oh, no, really absolutely. what it is. You know what I'm saying? I think he'll get that feel, but. I, I think that Trey has it a little bit more right now to close games
3: and and I I can't disagree with what you're saying. Everything that you're saying is absolutely right. right. But I feel like again, if I if I'm just completely blinded to the stats of, of whatever is going on in on a particular game, I I feel like there there's something electric about Aiden. There's something special about Aiden. Um, and and I get it. he's had these bad games and there's games where Trey looks better than him. And, and I yes, I get that. But, I mean, I I feel like there's just something with that kid that that has that electric ability that can make something happen if you just flat need something right there at the end of a game in crunch time, I feel like most of the time. Yeah. I feel like Aiden is that guy that can do something special or can make something happen around him special to – to get the, the outcome that you're looking for. But again, yeah. that, that, that's just, that is just blind to stats. No, but sure. you have to have, between those two, I think because they're so even, you, then you have to go performance-based by who is, is in there. That's why I posed it as if you're just completely blind to stats, who would it be? Right, right. But, yeah, but I, in reality, that's not the case. Right. We know oh, yeah. what's going on in the game. So which one ever you play, it has to be performance-based.
1: Do you want to hear the stat? Because this actually kind of surprised me a little bit. I did not think it was this bad. And I, I think it's not it's going to surprise you guys a little bit. Yeah, so, okay. Donaldson on the year, 50.6% from the field, 38.2 from three, 87 from the line, averaging 7.5 points, almost four assists. He's, he's Holloway great, is at 9.9 9. 9 points and 3.5 assists, so basically negligible assist difference right. and two more points game. But he's shooting 33.3% from the field and 35 point 9 from 3. He's actually shooting better from 3 than 2, which is something I have observed yeah. a little bit because He doesn't drive that much. He doesn't drive right. much. It's it's been it's been a little bit of a struggle down there. Yeah. Uh but that's that's I, I hate to say it, he's a good player. I believe that. That's bad. 33% <laughs> right. per- from the field is right. bad. Right. Uh he's going to get way better. I I I have full confidence in that. But I think that's the deal where they're trying to figure out what he can do. I mean, he's still a good passer, so I'm not saying that. But from a scoring standpoint, what he can do other than the deep three?
2: Yeah, because go ahead. no, sorry, you go because, because they're they're him and Trey are just. I feel like yes, they play the, the same position, but they play the position so differently, so different, yeah. so yeah. Sure. differently. Um, and, and so Trey, Trey is a little bit more reserved with his shot he picks his spots it's things like that and you know he get he can he can score at all three levels in all honesty he really can he can go he can drive in he's got he's really gotten pretty good at this little like turnaround little fadeaway that he's gotten pretty decent at. and then he can hit the mid-range And then he can also hit the three at a at a good clip like like ryan was saying percentage wise so Uh, and then Aiden it's just it's the three it really is it's uh, that's where he's a deep threat, and not to say that that's bad thing but you know I mean (laughs) you know he shot that first or second three and I think it was Radford that was on him and didn't step up when he was at the logo and I was like he made it and I said you got to step up on that because he's gonna shoot it and he's gonna make it he's gonna make it I would say you know one out of three times when he shoots that shot so Um, I just think it's definitely something to observe and, you know, I think he is going to get better. It's definitely interesting, but yeah, in terms of just trust overall, when it comes to just crunch time in a game, I just, I trust Trey a little bit more. Uh, He has the experience a little bit more. I agree that Trey, that you hope that Aiden can get to being that type of player and being that closer for you and in that situation. But I just think he just gets, it needs to get a little bit better feel for the game.
3: I I'm curious as to what Bruce sees with it. Uh, by starting Aiden, but then Trey, if you look at it, Trey played not substantially more minutes. I mean, he was at 21-22. Aiden played 18-38. So so Trey doesn't start, but he plays more minutes. I'm curious to know what the thought process is there.
1: Well, again, I think it's how it was managed in this game where they were even until the last seven or eight minutes where they went with Donaldson. So, like, like they pulled – I think they pulled Hallway about 12 minutes left in the game. And Donaldson played until – uh, five, six minutes left. Right. Hallway played one or two more minutes, and then they went back to Donaldson with like three minutes left. So of the last 11, 12 minutes, it was like nine to three, ten to two, something like that. So that's, that's kind of where it came from. But also remember, and Bruce just said, starting lineup does not mean a whole lot. Because yeah, you right, know yeah. they start Chris Moore, but they hardly ever close with Chris Moore. Now right. they might they might if they need defense at the end of the game. But obviously Chris Moore is not much of an offensive player, so you know he he consistently is down in the 10 to 15 range despite starting. So I, I think that again they view it as pretty even. Uh I've I've still wonder, we've gotten halfway through the season and not seen much of it. I still wonder if there's ever gonna be a day where in an important situation they put them both out there because they no. might value Trey as someone to run the offense and Holloway someone to catch and shoot the offense that was run by Trey. Uh, because I could see this. Now, look, Holloway is a really good passer, and he does create. So I Absolutely. don't think he'll ever move the shooting oh, yeah. guard. I'm oh, yeah. not saying that. However, what just from scoring, from a scoring perspective he feels more like a shooting guard because he is more of a deep three-point shooter rather than someone driving, hitting mid-range shots and something like that. It seems like somebody that can benefit on the catch and shoot and on the all the, all the stuff on the perimeter. That's all I'm saying. He will continue to play point guard. I'm not – again, no one's – he said he's a shooting guard. No, he's still point guard. But I'm just saying how he is scoring the ball so far – has felt more like a shooting art. He's obviously a really good passer. His assist to turnover ratio is good. It's very similar to Trey Donaldson's. But I wonder if they'll ever go to both of them at the same time. I think what would have to happen there is Denver Jones would have to be struggling and KD Johnson would right. have to be struggling because right. Denver struggled last night, but KD was awesome last night. He had 14, he was all over the place, Rabid Jackal engaged, you know, <laughs> and, and he, was, he was looking good. So Crazy KD. They're not going to want to put. KD and Aiden and Trey on the same time right. or Denver, you know they can't do all three of those. But if there was a game where one's in foul trouble, one's playing poorly, would they go to both? I'd still, I'd still wonder about that. But that's something we've not uh, seen yet. I guess to answer the original question, we got like two, three, four minutes left in the hour. And to answer the original question, the only guys, I, w- <sighs> I'm almost, I'm not, I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna be weird. Jalen and Jani are the two guys, for me, always got to be out there at the end of the day. Right, uh, absolutely. You, Jani's, uh, Jani Broom's pedigree is just too high. Even if he's having a rough one, you just kind of need him. And Dylan's yeah. doing a great job this year, absolutely. But you just, you just feel he's got to be out there. And then Jalen, too. I mean, Jalen last year I thought was really solid. He's becoming even more aggressive, as Cam pointed out, this year. Uh, and so those two kind of are married to the finishing lineup. So you build off of that. That's why you have your one, two, and three open. That's why the point guard's up for debate, which we did just debate. That's why it matters how Denver Jones and Katie Johnson is playing. And then at small forward, do you want Chad Baker Mazzara? Do you want Chris Moore? If you just for defense. Uh, I don't think they're ever gonna really go big with uh Cheney Johnson there. So
3: I, I see it in that question, I think I'd go with Chad becker Mazar because I, yeah. I think he gives you the scoring and the defense. Yeah, where, yeah, he is a good defender too. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, Chris Moore is just gonna give you defense. He's not gonna give you yeah. points. Chad becker Mazar can do some that that dude could be a highlight real type player, um, when he gets the chance. And so I, I would definitely take uh Baker Mazar over uh over Chris Moore.
1: So I, look, I, you know, I, we've talked this out, and I think that there's realistically only a couple decisions to have to make on a, on a game to game basis, uh, and, and that's really more around point guard yeah, shooting point, guard, yeah. uh, and, and, and so again. Denver has been somebody that has struggled this year. He has the second lowest field goal percentage, so Hallway is the lowest. I looked at thirty three point three, and and Jones is thirty seven. So again, that's still below average. So too. weird for
3: Denver because Denver Jones is known as when he came right. in here as a transfer. I mean, his three point shooting was right. That's what got him noticed. I mean, my theory crazy three point shooting, and all of a sudden he gets here, and it's like,
1: I'm working that. on an Allen Flanagan theory. I'm going to call it the Allen Flanagan theory. Oh man, and and my theory is, is that he's a guy that needs to be involved constantly, and if he's not, he loses his rhythm. Wow. He needs to get and, touches. And I think that's what's going on with Flanagan and Ole Miss. That, I think that's truly – it wasn't actually injuries in hindsight. I think truly why Alan Flanagan averaged like 18 a game on the bad Auburn team and then 9, 10 a game on all the other Auburn teams was that he had the ball all the time. Yeah. And it was just him and Sharif just running around doing crap, and that was all they really had. <laughs> and so he could he could have a rhythm. He was hitting a step back threes and they were 35 36 percent it's like oh man that's a tough shot to be hitting that high percentage but then when he got around to other guys that were very capable and he was down to five six shots a game instead of 10 12 it's just it's hard for him to pick his spots and he wasn't he wasn't figuring out the right time for that and he couldn't get his three ball in rhythm because he wasn't shooting but one or two a game and it was come at random and and now that he's at Ole Miss they're, they're like, Alan, go cook. You know, we're a new yep. team. we got a bunch of new players. Go find your own space. And he's found himself as one of their top players, scoring 16, 17 a game again like it was his uh, what sophomore year or whatever at Auburn. With Denver Jones, I think we're seeing that. I think we're seeing he was at a smaller school at FIU – Denver go cook, and when he cooked, he cooked, and 20 points a game, he shot it well, shot it better than he did this or is so far this year because when you're in rhythm, you're in rhythm, and and you you know that you miss a shot, you're not getting pulled, you don't wonder when your next shot's coming. Your next shot's coming in a minute. But here you've got so many options that, hey, you get two or three great open looks, That's probably your game, so you kind of need to hit those. It's probably all you got, and so you haven't shot it in half an hour, and, and, and you're not in rhythm at that point. And it takes certain guys to be able to do that. That's why we talk about in the NBA about how valuable a sixth man is, someone to come off the bench and score a bunch of points, because there is a certain, uh, a certain attitude you need, a certain level of confidence, and just certain skill to always be in rhythm and be able to do that. So I think Denver Jones has kind of fallen into that where he's struggling to find rhythms in these games when he's used to taking 10, 15 shots, and he's only taking about five or six. With Auburn. We are out of time for hour number one. That was a basketball heavy first hour. We're certainly enjoyed it. Coming up next, we're going to go back to our I orthopedic clinic phone line. I had fun too. Going to our orthopedic clinic phone line when we come back. Also, we'll get into some football. And then in the five o'clock hour, we'll have Joe Bartle Roto Wire to preview the NFL playoffs. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
0: Hour number two of Sports Call,
1: starting right now. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Cam Berry, Tom Peavy with you here on this Wednesday. T.P. Hammock is running the board, taking your phone calls. We start hour number two here in just a moment, but in hour number one, we were able to chat with Bruce Pearl on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We appreciate Coach Pearl for that. If you missed that, go back and check it out on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola. And hour number three, we'll have Joe Bartle, Of RotoWire at 5:15, Uh, so we're excited about that. And also, want to remind you that the sports call survey is still up and ready to be taken by you, the listener. It will be up until next Friday, and so got uh, just a little more over a week to do that. We encourage anyone that has been listening to the show off and on throughout the days, weeks, months, years, etc., to participate. It is only a nine-question survey. Will help us with how we should operate with the show in 2024. You can find that on the website at thetiger.fm. You can also see it or uh, take it and follow the links on social media, Sports Call Auburn on Instagram, Facebook, and at Sports Call AU on Twitter. Let's go to the orthopedic clinic phone line for the first time in hour number two, 334 887 3401 locally, or toll free 1 888 9 Tiger 9. First up in hour number two, Ward Dam Steve. Retired Dam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you this afternoon?
7: Hey guys, thank you for letting me be the first person to follow up with Coach Pearl because I'm honored. In fact, uh, I'm speechless. Uh, but uh, I'll tell you right now, and, Tom, I heard your comments earlier about me. Thank <laughs> you for, for recognizing me. Uh, I have no fingernails left. In fact, I have Band-Aids on each of my ten fingernails. <laughs> yeah. uh, so uh, I, I was afraid I was going to have to go to toenails. Uh, but uh, I know it was a double-digit win, but it sure didn't feel like it, guys. Uh, it sure did not feel like it. I mean, that was one of the sloppiest uh, games uh, in a long time at home. Uh, the passing of time was lackadaisical. And yet, we held the other side, the kryptonite team, to 55 points. And I even talked to my son because he was watching it too. In the last eight and a half, nine minutes of the second half, a and I believe, scored no points.
3: Yeah. They, like, last nine minutes or so, uh, last nine minutes or so, yeah, they uh, were held without a basket.
7: And we were just almost as abysmal, had we scored maybe just, 10% more of our usual scoring, we probably would have beaten them by 20 points.
3: Yeah.
7: And and yet, with all that, we came out of there uh, tooth and nail. Uh, I have no nails left. Uh, so we're doing what has been an almost uh, a horror show for us against that team. But what I will say this about their coach, like many other coaches, I respect him. He made a lot of really complimentary glowing comments about uh the students uh the the arena and, uh, and and the coaching and the playing i don't know if you read those comments after uh, the post game comments he made i thought about buzz williams
3: oh yeah 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 he had some amazing uh comments which i actually brought up to uh coach pearl about
7: yeah and that was excellent interview. you i'm so i don't know how you did it ryan but congratulations you deserve a huge bonus for whatever it took you to get Coach Pearl on the show today,
1: uh, that is compliments of Brooks Childress. He did a great job.
7: Brooks did it. Said, okay, well, give him a, a bonus as well. Then, all right, uh, that was really. Uh, and I loved who wasn't asked him. Uh, what do you consider to be our weakest part of the team? And he said, "I'm not going to tell you that on air."
3: <laughs> that was me. I, I asked that question. I I was hoping he'd at least, you know, maybe give me a little bit. But I I like the way that he answered it. Uh, that was that. That was good stuff.
7: Good try, good try there, Tom. All right, so uh, guys, uh, be, beyond that, uh, my son and I were trying. He he followed. He, I mean, he's a fanatic about college basketball. So I asked him. I asked you the same question. The remaining SEC teams that are left, which ones do we or which one do we have the worst matchup with
1: uh, of the rest of the SEC schedule? Yes. Uh, I think you've got to look at the two best teams in the league, Tennessee and Kentucky. I mean, uh, Auburn is uh, is really, really good. And so you're you're looking at how Kentucky can score the ball. And also Tennessee's always been a physical presence. It's been tough to deal with.
3: That uh, Alabama in Tuscaloosa I, I is going to – that's going to be tough. Yeah, that that going not be that's, tough. As well. That's going to be tough. Lot.
1: Yes. Yeah.
7: Well, my son said Alabama and Kentucky. I mean, yeah. Alabama and Florida. He said, in fact, it's been a long time. Guys, do you happen to know off the head how long it's been that they've beaten Florida at Florida?
1: I, I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head.
7: But that, Anyway, that was one That the two teams he said we probably had the most difficulty with. So, um, with that having said, guys, I want to bring your attention to something that I was not prepared to discuss, but uh, it's troubling. And I don't know what credibility it has to it, but it came uh, via the, the Auburn 247 Sports, some of the posters there, and it said Cadillac uh, is trying to be, get pushed out. So I went to the actual source of the information, and it comes from a website called FlyWarEagle.com by a sports writer, I guess, by the name of Andrew Hughes. And it's entitled, Hugh Freeze wants Cadillac Williams gone on his Auburn football program, according to Alabama analysts. That analyst uh, goes by the name of um, Ronald Evans for Bama Hammers. Guys, what do you know or not know about Ron Elevens? Right,
3: nothing. nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. I, I wouldn't okay. I wouldn't trust he, what he says. If 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 that guy told me that the sky was blue, I would question it.
7: Well, I just question because it comes from FlowerEagle.com. I don't even know anything about them. And uh, it says it quotes it, it says apparently that uh, quote meanwhile from Auburn is a rumor that Hugh Prize wants Cadillac Williams to leave. The rumor, he says, includes some seedy accusations, not dissimilar to what was fabricated in an attempt to force Brian Harson to resign. And uh, I said, "Wow!" So I've not now I've seen some comments made by people that Cadillac may be the next person, maybe uh, not be on our staff. But the guys are telling me, "What have you read or heard uh, that has any credibility to it?" That no. Cadillac may be on the outs.
1: Yeah, no, no, nothing. nothing again, nothing. I, I,
3: and and the only thing I have seen is message board fodder, and that's all that is—is is message board fodder, and that's stuff that you really have to take with a grain of salt.
7: Okay, because phil Marchant said that it's not overdone with that. There may be other people uh, being let go. So I don't know if Cadillac is among those people.
3: I mean, I think there's always a possibility of that because none of us know what goes on behind closed doors. Uh, no one knows what uh, Hugh Freeze's expectations were for Cadillac and whether he met expectations or didn't. We, none of us know that.
1: See, we got some pretty big breaking we, news we do. that we, 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 yeah. ne- we, we cannot ignore uh, any longer. Uh, so w- we need to get, uh, get uh, this wrapped up here.
7: Sure. All right. Thanks for the warning. And I'm, I'm really glad that Mr. Petit decided to come back as well.
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, that was a big get.
7: All right. Guys, my time is up. I want to thank for your time. I'm waiting to hear some of the news breaks. Yes, sir. You
3: just bunker your seatbelt, Steve.
1: Okay, boy, guys. Appreciate the phone call. That is Retire Ward Steve joining us on. The orthopedic clinic phone line, and we imagine our phone lines are about to let wrap, uh, I mean, about, light up here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just in from Chris Lowe about five minutes ago, Alabama head coach Nick Saban is retiring. My he has goodness. told his wow. team uh, effective just a moment ago. Uh, Nick Saban is retiring as Alabama head coach. Uh, this was a move that many had uh, always tried to pin the date on. Uh, we have said on this show numerous times that we did not necessarily think it would be now. Simply that it would be uh, coming up soon. Uh, I, I put no, uh, I put no uh, specific date and time on it. I, simply just saying it will be this decade. Right. Uh, it will be this year, and it will be this moment. Uh, Nick Saban is retiring from Alabama, and now one of the most anticipated retirements and coaches ser- coaching searches of all time. Uh, will commence now (laughs) Uh, pretty crazy (laughs) news to to see that's
2: that's very very crazy news uh yeah whoever uh alabama does end up hiring to follow nick saban is gonna have a a a very very tough time follow i mean just the man is a legend obviously um you know playing uh, uh coaching for for alabama and and just coaching in the sec in general honestly and uh uh wow I, i'm honestly very much in shock i did not think that was going to happen i didn't think it was going to happen for another maybe two years that he was going to retire maybe three but man that's i mean wow just decided that uh that this i guess it, this was the year yeah
3: um we mentioned this was it was it on yesterday's show that we discussed it a little bit uh, on we were talking about coaching searches and yeah. different things like bit, that yeah um you know the one thing that I said, and and this is still, I mean, it's going to hold true, and now even more so. Um, who wants to take that job? Uh, obviously, taking the Alabama job is a very, very prestigious position to be in. I, I, I mean, there's, it's hard to say that there's a bigger head coaching job in the entire country to take than to be the head man at the University of Alabama, just because of the the legendary status of that program you know from bear bryant to to nick saban but it's one thing to take that job and it's another to follow in the footsteps of somebody like nick saban just like it was difficult to follow in the footsteps of bear bryant i mentioned that that when bear bryant left the next guy in line was ray perkins and ray perkins was He didn't last very long because the expectations of the Alabama folks are just so, so incredibly high that you have to meet that type of standard. Ray Perkins did not do that. Bill Curry came in after that. Bill Curry did not meet those expectations. It it was not – the expectations were not met until Gene Stallings came in and was able to win another national title in uh, 92. So – you, we can play the game, the name game. Everybody has talked about Dabo Sweeney since he's a former Alabama guy. Would he, you know, would he literally walk through broken glass to take the Alabama job? what everybody used to always say. Maybe, but does he really want to take on that type of pressure? Uh, does a guy like Kirby Smart, who who trained under Nick Saban, would he want to leave Georgia to go take the Alabama job? Nobody knows that uh, Sarkisian, any of these guys that are from that Nick Saban coaching tree, are they willing to take that responsibility and be that guy that follows up Nick Saban? Somebody is going to want to do that, but man, you want to talk about somebody jumping into an an absolute tinderbox of expectations. Good luck to you. I mean, that's, that's big time, big time. When you try to take over for a guy like Nick Saban.
1: Nick Saban, while at Alabama, I know these some of this will be tough to uh, hear all the accolades, but two hundred and one and twenty nine in his time at Alabama, one seventeen and eighteen in the SEC. Uh, obviously, won uh, six national championships while at Alabama, seven overall in the college football game. As he won his first in the early two thousands with LSU. Uh, Unbelievable uh, to have it come to an end, I guess, so suddenly in a way. Again, I know a lot of people knew that the end was probably coming pretty soon, uh, but uh, I think that it'll be uh, a very interesting to see if Alabama moves quickly on the next person or if they've got uh, someone in mind. I know that there are some guys I've thought about with some friends, because, I mean, we have this banter off air all the time of guys that uh, would be interesting follows. Uh, I know that a lot of people around here have always thought about Kiffin. I'm personally uh, thinking more out west towards Dan Lanning Dan Oregon, Lanning, yeah. Um, as somebody that makes a lot of sense, uh, obviously was at Georgia as the defensive coordinator, uh, has had pretty quick – and, uh, and good success at Oregon. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see if the reporting uh, suggests one particular name over the other. Let's go ahead and grab one phone call, and then we'll need to take a break here on our orthopedic clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll free one 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Next up, Anthony from Auburn. Anthony is with us. Anthony, quite a day. How are you?
6: How are you guys doing? I just heard that when you all made the announcement, uh, or the
1: uh, coach saying retired. Oh man, I tell you. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, I know it's uh
3: it's one of those things that you, you know it's gonna come eventually, but when it actually happens, it's like, Oh, wow. This is actually but, happening.
6: But you know, it'd be all right. I mean he ain't the first coach to retire from Alabama. I mean, you know, Coach Bryant I mean when I was a kid, probably in the sixth grade or whatever it was, uh Coach Bryan uh, had a press conference and stated that uh, in every profession, in every profession, there comes a time when you must step down and retire. So it ain't no big deal. Alabama's Alabama football. They win national championships. They win conference championships. They appear in more bowl games than anybody in the history of college football. That's just what Alabama does. It's always done that, and they continue to do that. So now it's time to uh, find somebody to come in. So I would think Dabo would be the first guy they go after. Uh, if Mama called and he got to answer the call, he can't refuse it. He got to answer. He's an Alabama man. So if Mama called him, he going to have to stand up and, and come on. I think that'd be the first guy I would go after. Uh, that's a job you can't give anybody. I mean, as far as Bill Curry, Bill Curry did a good job at Alabama. Uh, he had him positioned position to win a national title, to be to play for one, but came down here in 89 and, and got beat, and that kind of messed things up a little bit. But then still went on to the Sugar Bowl and phased Miami, and it probably if he would have pulled it off, probably could have got the votes and won it. But uh, he just had so much pressure on him. He just couldn't come back and, and, and continue. But – but it's all right. I mean, you know, Alabama going to do what it do. Like I said, they brought in Stallings in 92, and he gave them championship goal. And then we had some years in there where things went so good. And then Saban came in and spoiled us all over again, just like Coach Bryant did. You know, this ain't the biggest coach surge in the history of Alabama football. I ain't going to say that. It might be the second. But, uh, you know, uh, let's not forget Coach Bryant. Coach Bryant, the greatest coach ever hit Alabama football. I'm just going to tell you the truth. You know, it ain't always about winning everything. It's about life lessons. Uh, Brian taught a lot of the players. We talked about that in the on the show, or oh, throughout the years and everything. But it's gonna be all right. I mean, uh, you know, I tell you this now with the playoffs being the way it is with a 12-team playoff, you can get a good coach in there. Well, I mean, you get a coach in there that can do the job or whatnot. I mean, your chances of winning that championship is still great because you got a 12-team playoff. So basically, if you can win about nine games or eight games or whatnot, you can just about make that uh that uh you know that top 12 or whatever it be. But it's going to be very interesting to uh, see how long it takes for him to name somebody. But I, my favorite pick right now would be Dabo. I wouldn't think Curry Smart would leave Georgia because he's a Georgia man. Right. So he's where he need to be. Uh, this is shocking news, I mean. But, I mean, everybody, I mean, you know, think about it. When he bought a $17 million vacation home this past summer, that I to told you there that, that it, it was coming within the next year. Or so, uh, if not, not, well, yeah. Because, I mean, you know, you spend $17 million on a vacation home in Florida. I mean, how long are you going to stay away from it? And he's made plenty of bukus of money. He's filthy rich. And uh, now it's time for him to relax and enjoy some of that money and spoil those grandkids. I mean, you know, this is a shift. You know, when y'all mentioned that when Bryant retired, and it was a shift at that time because Pat Dye was here, Bo Jackson over the top, and Auburn was a darling of the Southeastern Conference at that time. You know, but uh, – that shift probably ain't going to hit Auburn because the state is program in, and I don't know if Hugh Freeze is going to be able to benefit from it or not. He may, may not. We'll see how the recruiting wars go now. Uh, definitely, we should probably favor Hugh Freeze and Auburn. uh with saving stepping down. Hugh Freeze need to capitalize on it right now. If I were him, this is the time for y'all to get y'all NIL money together and uh, whatever push you can make for the final spots y'all got coming up uh, in uh, February when his next signing date.
1: Yes, first week of February.
6: Just be time to jump on it. I mean, because this is going to make a lot of people change um, their mind, start searching. Who knows uh, who may hit the transfer portal uh, in the spring when it opens up again because of this announcement. That's going to be another time to jump on it and grab something. So this is time now to be strategizing with the powers to be and the people that make the decisions and got the money in their pockets. This is time to get on it. This is time for y'all to – I mean, (laughs) anybody uh, that really want to win – and they know they got the finances hey y'all better get on it because uh, who knows what might come out of this Pandora box that's been open now I mean you never know how many players now okay now the juniors the juniors uh, right now and the seniors to be coming up uh, they can open the transfer now to save to retire right uh,
1: I mean the portal's still got to be open I believe but uh, but yeah I mean I think all the, the portal transfer rules apply.
6: So the portal does have to even if the all right, the the portal can't close and they still and they change the mind right you can't do that what you're saying right i,
1: I don't think so I think the next time the portal opens in the spring obviously everyone okay. can leave. but but I, I i i could be wrong i will i will double check what I can but uh I think right. when the portal's closed, it's closed
6: well uh, when he made his press conference well well I guess I had to catch that on on uh youtube or something i will catch it on the news when they show it. Man, I, I tell you, you know, I, I thought at least he'd give it one more year, maybe two, you know, I thought. But uh, I guess not. But uh, Lane Kiffin definitely not the choice. Uh, that man's a playboy, and uh, I don't think the Alabama people want anybody like that up there on the campus uh, looking at all the young girls. He's got a girlfriend now, 20-some years old. And you can't have no man on no campus like that. Uh, head coach <laughs> represent the university in a first-class manner, and he's running after the cheerleaders and the majorettes and the sorority girls. You can't have that. That man ain't going to be able to represent Alabama football the way it needs to be represented. Don't get me wrong. He's a, he's a good coach, a genius, if you will, an uh, offensive mind. But, no, you can't have that. And uh, he's already proven uh, what he did with Southern Cal and old-school Southern Cal, highs and trophy winning, that old rocket Top Tennessee, and then those uh, win-baby Raiders. He's already proven it. He ain't the man for no, that kind of program. He's not. He's already had his chance at, You know, uh, most people only get one shot at that kind of job. And once they wash out of that, that just hit. He, he don't need, oh, no, he don't need that like that. But, guys, I, I tell you, if they caught me on the roller this is like being on a roller coaster, I guess, uh, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, I mean, you know, good God Almighty. When y'all said y'all had some news announced and couldn't ignore it no more, I had no idea in my wildest dreams of what you were going to say. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, good God Almighty, I tell you, boy, boy, boy. I, well, look,
3: I'm telling you, we, we had Steve on and we talking and talking and talking and these guys I didn't see it they saw it there was an audible gasp from everybody in here and it was like that that point it was like all right Steve we got to get you gone like but there, there was just like an audible love, you, love gasp. You to death Steve but like, I mean just everybody just went oh my gosh i mean it was that's 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 incredible it's one of those memories that you'll always yeah. have i'm sure everybody has that with with bear bryant but that's right. a memory now. I will always have is the audible gasp from the <laughs> entire studio when they saw it on Twitter.
6: You know, I is one of these things where maybe in four months or nine, I don't want to. I don't about to get the wrong idea here, but one of these things, you get another announcement. And he didn't uh, passed on and with the glory. I wanted to go. You know, because when you look at Joe Paterno and Bob Bryan, coaches like that, once they retire, they don't last long. You know, uh, you just never know. I, I'd hope not.
1: Yeah, we well, certainly hope not.
6: You know, uh, I tell you, oh man, this is this is something else. I you know, uh man, tell you know, if you think about it, this season he's been more mellowed out, he ain't been as intense as he has once was, uh, in previous seasons. Seemed like more grandfather like, just more you know what I mean? I mean I guess everybody saw that you know, I guess when you watch the games and whatnot, his demeanor or mannerisms or when things didn't go well, it just didn't blow up and explode at the degree that he used to.
1: Sure. I mean, again, I think that there are when hindsight will always be 2020. And when we look back and look closer, we'll say, okay, we kind of see where it was coming from. However, I still think that, I mean, when you go, I mean, he was on Pat McAfee's show, I think a week ago, saying he wasn't going to retire. I think that you still uh, look at it and say, we were thinking maybe one or two more big runs at it. And certainly, I I think the team is going to be roster wise in a pretty good space next year. Uh, I, you know, I don't. Th- we knew it was near, but I I don't think a lot of people boldly thought it was indeed this year.
6: You know, because I thought he'd be out looking for a defensive coordinator. Because I'm not mistaken, the defensive coordinator uh, took another job, didn't he?
1: Uh no, he retired. Kevin still retired He retired, retired yeah. too. that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. right,
6: uh, that's right. He retired. Yeah, I saw he retired. <laughs> Kevin still retired. And I, and, well, and I thought, well, let's see who let's, let's see who he brings in. You know, uh, will he go with Charlie Strong or either ain't T Rob up there?
1: Yes, he was. Uh, I think he was the number two guy in defense. Yep.
6: And you know, there's a lot of reports that T-Rob was in the running. Uh, he might be named or, or, or they might go get somebody else or whatnot, but those names were popping up, and, and I was looking to see what he's going to do in the next three or four days or, or whatnot. But uh, now today so <laughs> who knows what that coaching staff will look like next year uh, when they bring in a new coach. Uh, we don't know if they're a clean house or a uh, wholesome over or, or what may go on. Uh, I mean, you know, the athletic director may be going tomorrow. Who knows?
1: Uh, well, I mean, I, I think that that uh, obviously there will be change there, but I don't I don't know the status of the AD. But yeah, I mean, again, a huge day, and uh, they'll have to change a lot. But again, the the portal should be closed. We'll see who they bring in. Uh, I think early reports are that Dan Lanning from Oregon is a name that they're very interested in. Uh, but uh, we'll we'll see we'll see, and we'll be having plenty of conversations in the days in the days coming up.
6: Well it got to be held because right, if not, they're gonna have that tailspin like they did last time and uh, and get in the toilet. We don't really want that 'cause it <laughs> takes a while to get out it took a while to get out of that toilet. You know what I mean?
1: Uh I know, but uh Anthony, I I know I know where you stand, <laughs> you know where I stand. If uh if if y'all want to start circling, I'm I'm not gonna stop it. But I think they're not gonna be like that. I, I think that they're gonna find a good coach.
6: I hope it not be that bad, but hey, yeah, that's a lot of pressure coming in.
1: After it is it is.
6: legendary uh performance that Saban put in held in the highest regard and, and all that good stuff and having to come in and still win at that level and everybody still want to go to hallelujah land all the time it's I mean you know whoever comes in they're gonna have to work 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 and I, who knows do I mean do they really want to work at that pace uh, spend them in hours 18 maybe 20 hours a day and only getting four hours of sleep or whatnot and that and all the time I mean we'll find out. But, guys, I tell you, I'm going to go ahead and cry a little bit, and I'll talk to
1: y'all later. (laughs) All right, Anthony, you have a good day, man. We appreciate the phone call. That is Anthony from Auburn joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We're going to go ahead and take a break. This is our first break here, the 4 o'clock hour. We'll come back with Matt from Phoenix City right after this timeout. You're listening to... This Wednesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Again, the big news. Nick Saban has retired, effective immediately from the University of Alabama. We'll be back with more and more of your phone calls after that. After this.
0: We need a timeout. Sports Call will be back after this quick break. We're done paying the bills. Now back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
1: Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Camberry with you here on this Wednesday. You just never knew news will break. We've certainly had news. I mean, Auburn's had coaching news of coordinators in recent days, but that pales in comparison to today's news that Alabama head coach Nick Saban is officially retiring. Again, a reminder, we do have a already scheduled interview at 515 with Joe Bartle of Red wire He'll talk NFL. But all the other stuff for the rest of this show will be coaching-related and uh, certainly more on this news. More of your phone calls if you'd like to give us a call today, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, eight nine tiger 9 With that, let's go back to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line now. Matt from Phoenix City. Matt is with us. Matt, how are you today?
5: Man, I'm good. I'm going to tell you guys, you might want to wrap the show up early and go buy some toilet paper while you got the chance.
3: <laughs> uh you um, know, I'm glad you mentioned that. I pulled up the tumors live feed and there is nobody rolling Tumors Corner right now.
5: <laughs> no, I don't I don't I don't think anybody will do that. Um I don't think you want to give the guy not that much benefit. To... <laughs> right. No. No. Hey, um, so let's let's move on to something that actually matters. Um what is i don't know if if you guys get the same um or or if you have any any feelings about um what's the knock on bringing t-rob back to auburn
1: you know i haven't really Um, yeah i haven't really thought too much about t-rob obviously uh, you know i think that We were thinking maybe more since Kevin Steele had retired yesterday that he would be in line to possibly be the D.C. there. Uh, I I don't know uh, now what that status will be like with the whole new coaching staff and that sort of thing. So I certainly think that he uh, would become back into play here. I just –
5: I mean, every time I even think about talking about it on a message board, I get shredded. And I just don't understand – I mean, he was – he was solid at South Carolina. He's the best recruiter Alabama has. Uh, clearly, he does well with coaching the secondary. Um, you know, I don't. I don't understand what the problem would be. Um, yeah, I mean, it just I... seems like popular opinion, especially on message boards, is, is everybody's against the idea
1: yeah you know I and again, I, I can't speak for the message boards, uh, but you know I, I wonder if some of it would be that Charles Kelly is a guy that's going to work with dB's already. and again, that is going to be T Rob's specialty. I don't, but I mean, they had two guys on staff last year working with dBs Zach Etheridge and uh, and uh, and Wesley McGriff. So uh, I don't know what that means for Etheridge this year or or that sort of thing, but uh again i I can't give you a definitive answer i don't know if one of these guys has a specific reason uh why t rob would not be a candidate Uh, i certainly think now that uh, there's more flux at alabama that uh, it's probably not wind up being there uh and again it's about what kind of philosophy uh freeze is looking at i don't know if uh you know again he did run defense at south carolina there for a few years uh so he he does have that that bit of experience with coordinating defense so uh, I, I certainly think I don't see a reason why he would not be a candidate. I, not me personally.
5: You know, I read um, earlier. I think it was uh, two four seven had reported that Alvin had reached out to uh, Chris Hampton at Oregon um, and Zach Arnett, and that was the only thing that could be confirmed up to this point, and. You know, neither one of them to me necessarily jumps off the page, um, the way that, you know, or, or in a way that is greater than what somebody like T. rob would be. Um, you know, you think about Chris Hampton at Oregon. I guess he coaches secondary, he's the co defensive coordinator. And Michael Penix did everything I need to see to, to say that he's not the answer. Um, and I just, I don't know. Uh, I don't know that much about Arnett other than his spin at Mississippi State. And, um, you know, they were improving defensively under him as a coordinator, but um, who knows? Um, I think Mike, she was looking for a job. So, you know, they could always call him back to Tuscaloosa. Or if <laughs> if uh, Aunt Mama or whatever she is calls um, I don't, I don't know, but um, I think it's great news. Uh, it's great news for a lot of people in the SEC. That's not just Alabama, often thing, right? Um, you know, that may be. If if Harbaugh leaves, that may be something that Brian Kelly says, "Hey, hey, wait a minute, I might need to stick around for a couple more years." Um, the LSU, who knows? Uh, I'm more interested to see right now where Eric Binti is going to end up. I, I'm a Steelers fan, but I would love to see him in Atlanta.
1: Interesting. Okay. So. Well, we we moved uh, on coaching we, searches there. Yeah. I was having to follow follow for a second.
5: Yeah, yeah, yep. man. I got ADHD. You're gonna <laughs> have to, to overlook that. Uh, there was a squirrel just ran through my yard. <laughs> um, but but anyway. Um, I know, I know, because I know uh, you're going to be absolutely consumed um, with Nick Saban stuff for the next hour. But um, maybe, maybe you'll have some time to do some digging and, and, and maybe uh, just put together some comparisons of, of some of these guys that are available for this DC job. And 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 I would be interested to hear a, a more educated opinion. Uh, than what I have about who we should hire to be our defensive coordinator.
1: Sure, sure, we can do that. We can do that.
5: All right, man. Y'all have a good night. And like I said, I, it hadn't happened yet, but you might want to go buy some toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: we appreciate the phone call, Matt. Uh, that All is. Right.
5: Hey, coffee yep. filters work in a pinch. I'm just saying.
1: <laughs> 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 All right, we'll remember that. Uh, that is that for Phoenix City joining Weak. us. Week. Uh, they are on the orthopedic clinic phone line. Uh, yeah, so, uh, look, uh, we'll talk a little bit about D.C. there uh, since Matt brought it up there. Uh, Arnett's definitely somebody I've heard a lot. Uh, he said that was one of the guys 247 has heard, yeah. uh, has been some sort of contact with. Obviously, he was Mississippi State head coach this year uh, yeah. after being their defensive coordinator. Kiffin, uh, not Lane Kiffin. But, uh, Chris uh, Kiffin. Chris
3: Kiffin, yeah. the uh, defensive line coach at the Houston Texans, is a guy that – Hugh is very familiar with. And as has been discussed, uh, Hugh Freeze is a guy very similar to Gus in the fact that he likes to have guys around him that he knows and that he trusts, and that's a guy that he is familiar with. And so I think that's a name. Uh, But now as far as, like, overall candidates, I don't know because I don't know what Hugh Freeze is looking for. I don't – you know, I'm sure he has an idea of, of a style of defense or a style of coach that he is looking for but I'm not Hugh Freeze and I am not in his head. And so I really don't know, but I do have a feeling that it's going to be somebody that he is familiar with. And that's why I think a guy like Chris Kiffin makes sense. Zach Arnett makes sense. Uh, It, it make, those make more sense than just going out there and getting Iowa's defensive coordinator Say, you know, I don't know that they even know each other. I don't know that those two have ever even spoken on the phone and crossed paths. I don't know. So, that would that would seem like a, a less likely type deal of going out there and, and plucking away the guy who's considered right now as, like you know one of the best if not the best defensive coordinators in college football. I don't know that that happens.
1: Uh, what do you think about T Rob? So I um I you
3: know I I I like T Rob but I don't know about defensive coordinator. I think he's a guy that I definitely like to have on staff. Um, that's one of those that, that as auburn fans you have to be careful that you don't get caught up in the the guy that is an auburn guy. It, just because it's an auburn guy does not mean that they are the best person for the job. Just like the ridiculousness that was like Cadillac Williams needs to be the head coach like uh like why would you even think that like l- legitimately why would you think that that should be the the thing? But because he's an Auburn guy and loves Auburn, he needs to be the coach. Well, T-Rob is an Auburn guy. I'm sure he loves Auburn. I'd love to have him on staff. I just think there's better options for defensive coordinator than T-Rob.
1: Okay, let me give you another Auburn guy, though. Would uh, Travis Williams be a better option? I
3: Travis, I, to me, I think Travis Williams would be a better option than T-Rob. My only thing with Travis Williams is, is he proven enough yet? Um I mean, he did okay at Central Florida, but, you know, moved on. And Arkansas, I mean, how was Arkansas's defense this year under him? I don't don't really remember them being earth-shatteringly good or anything. You know, I don't know that T-Rob has really proven himself to be an elite defensive coordinator. And I think what Auburn needs is an elite defensive coordinator, not just a guy that played here at Auburn and we're going to plug and place, you know, former Auburn guys in here. I'm afraid that that T. Will would be that at the moment. Now, can he eventually become a stud defensive coordinator? I'm sure he can. I think he's got a great football mind, and he, he definitely knows how to recruit. But I think right now he's still a little bit unproven.
1: Uh, when I was looking at some of these defenses, just to tell you how they grade out points per game, I know it's the most basic statistic. Uh, Arkansas this year was 80th in the country. They were 28 points a game. You do have to keep in mind their offense was terrible, uh, just just awful. And when you're on the field the whole game, that will that will matter. So I don't think that they lost a bunch of games because of defense this year. I really feel that they lost a lot because their offense was was not what it's supposed to be. I was going back through Arnett's tenure at Mississippi State. He was the DC ever since Leach got there in 20. And again, just very average results in the in the arc of college football. Uh, they were 58th in defense uh, there in 2020. They were 62nd in 2021, and in 2022 they did jump up to 40th. So, okay, mm-hmm. there's a little bit of a progression. 40th at Mississippi State uh, with those players. You know, okay, that's not a bad job. Uh, it's not – I'm not convinced it's awesome. Uh, but but that's the resume there. Obviously you got the head coaching job, and they were just not very good this year in general. That all They also had offensive issues with Rodgers missing time and changing their offensive philosophy. So, I, you know, again, I, I think that – it's not. It was not solely one side of the ball issue there. But, you know, I don't know. I, I don't think that there uh, – I, re, I remember back to 2015, well, I guess in offseason 2014 when it was just such a layup that it was going to be Will Muschamp, right? I mean, it was just such a layup. He was available. He had worked at Auburn. Everyone knew his acumen, regardless of what you thought of him as a head coach. He was a tremendous defensive coach. And it was a layup. And Gus hired him. Auburn's defense improved. It was not awesome in fifteen, but remember, it was god awful in fourteen. So they improved it in fifteen. He went on to South Carolina. Auburn then hires Kevin Steele, and they don't have to worry about it for for half a decade. Mm-hmm. So you know they 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 ended up doing a good job there in succession after the initial hire of Ellis Johnson was kind of meh. I mean thirteen was not a bad defense, but, again, it was not a strength of the team. They were running read option def, scoring 40 points a game, running for 350 yards. That's why they were winning. And then 14, the defense just got worse, and it was beyond repair. And, again, that went into the Muschamp and Steele hires. But uh, I don't think there's a layup this time is the moral of the story. And I also am not seeing a guy necessarily, of the guys that have been mentioned, that is that Kevin Steele old grizzled veteran that has been at 20 different schools in 30 years and it's just going to kind of be an adult in the room now again ron roberts was more of that veteran type of guy and again we're still trying to figure out exactly what all went wrong what's different philosophy wise and that sort of thing where auburn wants to go uh and and also to be be fair it could be charles kelly i mean that would be about as veteran as it gets we we've not mentioned that there we mentioned him as someone higher they could just simply just elevate him and yeah. go ahead and make him defensive coordinator and, and and that's that's something that they could do and he's been a coordinator he has more of that veteran experience weird year at colorado there uh, but but certainly is well regarded for his recruiting so that's a name to keep in mind as well and also the last thing i'll say is something we did say yesterday too I don't think the sense of urgency is necessarily that high in there. Again, with the recruiting cycles the way it is, knowing that you've only got the February signing period remaining, I think that obviously most of the high school stuff is done. You always want to get a guy in there so you can work on the next class, work on your current players, which is always a big deal. But I don't think that they feel like they've got to get that accomplished by tomorrow or or anything like that. Uh, and, And look, now the ripple effect that, Saban will have to transition uh, into that real briefly before uh, before we end, end this hour. Um, that will cause, and, and that's what Matt brought up, that will cause everyone to think differently. It just will. Uh, you will think that there are more spots towards the top of this league available, which in turn in a 12-team playoff makes you think you have a better shot. If you're Ole Miss today, you now really love your chances – of having an opportunity next year to be a top two team in the SEC, top three team at least in the SEC. If you're Texas, you are very excited that Nick Saban is not going to be there next year. If you are Florida or all these bigger programs, Tennessee, any big program, even if you're struggling right now, you are excited because for right now, and look, who they hire, we'll see. What they become, we'll see. They're still going to be really good. to Alabama. They're not going we'll to settle to be terrible. Um But it's going to be near impossible to be what Nick Saban was. But if you're anyone in this league with any sort of aspirations for the top, the equation to you changed today because you don't have an absolute anymore. You knew with Nick Saban and Alabama, they were going to be alive for a national championship until the very end of the season. What, since 2008 it might have happened once where they weren't? Or they didn't go to Game 12, they didn't go to the Iron Bowl with the champs to win the title. It might have happened one time in 15 years. Yeah. So that's about as absolute as it gets. And now, regardless of who they hired, they might hire someone that puts them in the playoff almost every year and, and wins a title, but it's not going to be to that level, and it's not going to be an absolute like, uh, like Nick Saban was. So if you are anyone in this league with any sort of aspirations, your equation changed today. And, and that kind of shift, I mean, again, that's why we just moved Earth to start talking about it because that kind of thing doesn't happen very often. Uh, there's only a few programs that have gone to all these playoffs or in most of these playoffs, Alabama, Ohio State, uh, and Georgia. and then you know Clemson, but they have struggled the last few years. Uh, and they've kind of been replaced by Michigan the last few years. That's about it. you know I mean, mm-hmm. everyone else has cycled, everyone else has, has taken some turns, been here, there, and everywhere. But Alabama was one of about four, three or four schools that you could rely on being there. And, and and again, now we'll see. I, again, I'm not going to make any bold proclamations other than the next guy is not going to be the greatest coach of all time. So, you know, that that's about all we'll roll with there. But uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how everyone reacts, uh, how much uh, the recruiting ramps up, what these schools think about. And again, all the ripple effect that it will have. We're gonna we are now out of time, excuse me, for hour number two. Again, we do have that Joe Bartle interview lined up for 515. We will get to that in hour number three, but more on the retirement of Nick Saban, next steps for Alabama, what it might mean for Ryan Williams, and the recruitment of him to Auburn. That and more is next in hour number three. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, the Tiger Communications app, our number three of Sports Call starting right now. it been LaVoy. a very
3: slow sports day.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, totally. Ryan LaVoy, Tom <laughs> Peavy, Cam Barry with you here. TP Hammock is running the board, taking your phone calls. Again, we have a pre scheduled, it's already uh, scheduled before the show, an uh, interview coming up in 10 minutes with Joe Bartle of Roto-Wire, So that will be. Uh, a little bit of a change up there, but the rest of the time we will continue to focus on this big head coaching news. Want to go ahead. I, I know we had, uh, I told Anthony wrong earlier. Uh, when a coach retires, the portal does reopen. So uh, it is going to be open for 30 days after a coach leaves. Uh, so Alabama players will have the opportunity to hit the portal if they'd like. Uh, I'm sure some will. We will see how quickly they hire a head coach. We will see who that is, and we'll see what they'll be able to do roster management-wise. But I will say this, and this is not trying to peddle some sort of Auburn opportunistic view or someone that is ready for Alabama to meet its demise, but it has never been a worse time for an all-time great coach to retire with how quickly rosters can flip. Uh, to have the opportunity for these players because of a departing coach to now get in the portal, that is not something coaches 10 and 20 years – or programs, rather, had to deal with 10 and 20 years ago. Uh, It is something that is uh, certainly new to the last couple years of football, and with these roster management decisions and personnel and that sort of thing – it becomes ever ever more difficult to hang on to players in these situations. Now, that also pertains to Ryan Williams, who, of course, is the five-star receiver that everyone has been talking about for months now and what his decision might boil down to. Um, again, he has been quoted in the past saying, as long as Nick Saban's there, I'm there. Um, and, of course, Nick Saban's not there anymore. So that will Sheesh. be a very yeah. tough uh, decision out and will be tougher for Alabama to maintain that one, obviously. Auburn would be the ones that would reason to gain there, although I think there isn't a visit scheduled to LSU right. involved there. I think Texas, too. Uh, Texas it is. Texas, not LSU. Yep, Texas. Uh, so uh, there is a lot there. The last thing I'll get to, let you guys get back in, is the potential buyouts for Alabama candidates. Dan Lanning's potential buyout would be $20 million. He is somebody right. that is – Report is one of the favorites. Uh, Kalen DeBoer, who I would strongly suggest Alabama not hire, uh, <laughs> or high i don't care—twelve uh, million, and then Dabo Sweeney is going to be seven and a half million. That is not That's much. That's
2: not a lot. Not a lot much. at all for Dabo. James
1: Franklin at Penn State is six million, eh. and Mike Norvell is only four million. Eh. All Interesting right. thoughts that does not have to be on the replacement, but more yeah. thoughts. Yeah. Uh,
3: well, I, I was just going to mention Hugh Freeze has taken to Twitter and uh, and has given his thoughts. Uh, I'm just reading straight from what Hugh Freeze put out on Twitter. Uh, Hard to express how much Nick and Miss Cherry have meant to Jill and I as friends, and you have forever set the mark for many to chase in this profession. Enjoy retirement. So that is that is mm. from the fingers a few freeze.
2: Marlon hum- Humphrey, uh obviously a former Alabama player tweeted, "I would have been in that portal so fast after I heard Saban retiring LOL." So, if that goes to show any type of you know how players think when they a certain coach retires, leaves whatever and obviously Saban being the one of the greatest if not the greatest college coach of all time, uh you know, leaving The Alabama program I mean I think I would expect a a very high amount of roster turnover in all honesty um I'm very curious as to what spurred this decision uh for Saban I I so he appears on the Pat McAfee show every Thursday I was actually reading that so if he comes on tomorrow you know I mean obviously this is going to be the biggest thing you know talking about for the next probably week at least Oh yeah. uh so <laughs> this will it'll surely be interesting i wonder if uh you know if pat McAfee's gonna ask him you know what what uh what made you come to this decision uh you know because it was just so sudden you know it's just kind of there are pe you know like we talked about you know yeah like in the next five years something something for sure he's gonna retire but there were no rumblings at all it just you know Chris Lowe just dropped that ball and it, or dropped the bomb and it just I mean and then obviously it was everywhere yeah. so that that's pretty wild uh, I, I, I wonder how the roster is gonna look next year. I really think it might look pretty different honestly yeah. just whoever gets hired uh, it, it's gonna it's gonna be a tough job to follow
3: uh, also uh, coach Gus Malzon on Twitter. Uh, it was a true honor to coach against you throughout the years, enjoy your retirement. So Gus Malzon also chiming in on the Twitter. Um, very yeah, I mean it's 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 surprising news it, like we kind of said before, you knew it was coming eventually um, in the next couple of years, you thought just because he's getting up in age, and it's, it was kind of getting around that time that it's it's probably gonna happen. There's just been so much talk of. Is it going to be this year? Is he going to have one more run and then do it next year? Or could he be there for two more years? I mean, you just really didn't know. Um, it, it felt like after this season there was a little more talk about it than normal. And um, I think his daughter may have said some things that that kind of perked some ears up wondering. Uh, it, it just seemed like there's a little more chatter about it this this year than in years past
1: and well the florida vacation house too the, the floor the, well
3: and the florida vacation house the the purchasing of that florida vacation oh, I house forgot about that that was yeah. so that, 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 that was
1: at the beginning of the
2: season yeah. right yeah i forgot about that that that, that so really awkward. that
3: really perked up some questions on on where what his thoughts were uh i think he was also big into uh, purchasing some auto dealerships that uh that is you know going to be part of what it, there was a lot of different things there's a lot of different purchases that you don't normally just see a head coach do unless they have already retired or if they're looking at retirement or things like that so uh while it is surprising because nobody is actually prepared for it when it happens it, it's it's i mean it is earth-shattering when a guy like Nick Saban announces this and so uh while there was while there was some talk of it you just don't know until you see it and but then when it hits it's just it's like just wow I mean this this is this is happening uh one of the most monumental days in the world of college football in many many years and um I I mean he's a legend He, he is a legend as much as Auburn fans want to dislike Alabama and dislike Nick Saban. I think everybody also understands that he is legendary. He has done things at Alabama that, uh, you have to respect, you have to respect him. You have to respect the job he's done. And you have to understand that he is the goat and whether you like him or not, whether you like Bama or not, you you have to understand that and respect that. And, uh, but now, I mean, it opens up the world for Auburn, and, and this, is, this is the time, you know, it, it should be a good time for Auburn. Uh, it should be a good time for them to strike while the iron's hot, uh, get guys like Ryan Williams, maybe some other guys from Bama decide to transfer, and maybe you jump in on them. Uh, Auburn was able to take advantage of it when Bear Bryant left because that – now, Auburn had already kind of, in 82 – Auburn had already made those big steps with Bo, bringing in Bo Jackson and Pat Dye had begun to make those big steps in 82. But then once he retired, Auburn really took control of things, especially in the state of Alabama. And so that's what Auburn's going to have to do now. Is they, It has really opened up a lot of things for Auburn to be able to find success and try to sustain some success and, and try to hopefully propel themselves ahead of Alabama, uh, at least for the time. And so uh, it's it's big. I mean, it's it's so big on so many levels, not just nationally, but for Auburn as well.
1: We need to take our next timeout of the show, and that's because Joe Bartle of RotoWire will join us to talk NFL playoffs. Of course, we'll have far more coverage after that interview and, of course, on tomorrow's show of this Alabama situation. Also, of Auburn's coordinator situation, as Auburn looks for new offensive and defensive coordinators. You're listening to this Wednesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger
0: 95.9. Sports Call has been on the air since 1995.
6: I'm Jeff Whitaker Jr., former Auburn Tigers defensive tackle and national champion, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger
1: 95.9 Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan Lavoy, Tom Peavy, and Cam Berry with you here. On this Wednesday edition of the program, we now go to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line where we welcome on Joe Bartle of Rotowire as we get set for the NFL playoffs to start this weekend. And of course, Joe, I know that the the news around here, uh, that former Miami Dolphin head coach Nick Saban has retired today. Uh, and again, how will you remember his tenure in the NFL and as a football coach? As a football, coach?
8: Oh, as a, as a football uh, NFL coach, it's a little bit different. But obviously, I think we'll go down as one of the, the, the greatest coaches, no matter of the sport of all time. And uh, has revolutionized college football, I would say, or at least some would say, not for the better. Um, and you, know, you guys understand, I'm not a huge college sports fan because of the Wisconsin Badgers... I uh, have no concept of what it takes to actually win more than three games. So, like, it 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 doesn't, it just doesn't matter too much. To, it doesn't matter as much to me. But for people who do care about college football and rightfully so, I mean, that guy is an institution, has created an institution. And, frankly, uh, I think there are going to be all but one state and all but one city and country <laughs> and the school that are going to be ecstatic. I mean, this is a national holiday for anybody who actually loves college football because it means theoretically another team has a chance uh, to push Alabama out of its slot that it maybe doesn't deserve, like this year, I would say, uh, relative to Georgia for what's the playoffs. And, you know, it, it's going to change next year, too. So, as a, as a college football coach, certainly different uh, than we're talking uh, NFL coach. But I thought we were going to celebrate that both of our, our teams yes. made it in the Buccaneers and Packers. That's
1: that's the real celebration today. Well, I, it, it certainly is. And look, one franchise is certainly uh, very popular around the world. Uh, the Bucks have a nice little following in about one city, so I think that the okay. world was a little <laughs> happier about the Packers <laughs> making it. But, uh, but yeah, no, those two teams are going to be a part of this NFL super wild card weekend now that we have uh, three matchups in each conference. So let's talk a little bit about that, Joe. I mean, uh i know people are going to want to start with the cowboys and all these uh you know the one and two seeds but let's start with some of these uh teams that got hot down the stretch like the packers like the bucks like the rams who won uh, a lot of games down the stretch there are there's any of those teams that got hot late do you feel that could make a run towards the the nfc championship game or afc championship game
8: yeah i want to be clear I, i think the uh Super wild Card participation for the Buccaneers and Packers is probably the biggest win they'll get all season. <laughs> I would be pretty shocked if they were to win uh, in the postseason here. And I guess I, I want to be clear. I think there's an outside chance that the Packers might. And you talk to a lot of folks who know football and are smart about stuff. They don't think it's an outside chance the Buccaneers are going to win. They, they, they think that there should be the favorite over the Eagles. And when the books had started, they were uh, the Eagles were minus three, of course, traveling to Tampa Bay. I, I, I understand losing 5-6 of Philadelphia. They haven't looked good. A.J. Brown's banged up. Jalen Hart's got an injured finger. Devonta Smith didn't play last week, was already injured. That defense is miserable. I understand all those things. That might matter against the Cowboys. That might matter against the 49ers. I don't think that matters against the winner of the NFC South Division. And maybe I'll be wrong. I'll look foolish come Tuesday. Uh, and the Buccaneers, who who are a good offense. I mean, I, I watched them eviscerate. Joe Barry's defense. Everyone does that, though, except for the Bears and Vikings, sort of the reason. But that's not not a calling card. But Baker Mayfield has been really good, and Mike Evans looks rejuvenated in Tampa Bay. I I I recognize that this is going to be a competitive contest, but I do not see the Super Bowl runner-ups somehow losing to the NFC South Division winner, no matter be the Saints, Falcons, or in this case the Buccaneers. So I I would lean towards the Eagles. The Cowboys are favored by seven and a half points. They have not lost at home all season. They're averaging 38 points all season. I had wrote in my Tuesday article, a good day for Joe Barry's defense will be holding them to 28 points. That's a good day. So, uh, if nothing else, if you think the Packers are going to be competitive in that contest, you take the over at 15 and a half and say, well, both squads are going to be at least scoring 28 points and uh, who ends the final possession. I I, I don't know, and I, again, I wrote this in my article from Tuesday, I don't know if there's going to be the choke job this week against the Packers, that deep so bad, that I just can't imagine Mike McCarthy struggling that much, but I have lived through that. I have lived through the Mike McCarthy era, uh, everyone getting shocked that he has no idea about timeouts or managing clock. That was decades ago for me at this point, understanding how bad McCarthy is. There will be a choke job at some point. I don't think it's this week, but it could be next week against the Rams, so I do think if we're talking to answer your question, the hot team, I think the Rams will go into Detroit and upset uh, the not matthew stafford Lions. Uh, and possibly upset Lions fans we'll we'll see how that goes and it's ironic that the biggest upset from last year was Giants Vikings and I think we'll see it again the NFC North Division winner is going to lose to the first round of the wild card uh
3: kind of looking around at some other games <clears throat> excuse me looking around at some other games uh, I look at that browns Texans game is, is that one I, I feel like for most kind of sidewalk NFL fans, pedestrian NFL fans. That looks like a very ho-hum game. Is that a ho-hum game, or is that a game to be excited for?
8: No, I I mean, I I think when we get to postseason football uh, professionally, you get excited for any matchup at any point. So I think that's really exciting. Obviously, we have the Stafford return to Detroit and McCarthy facing his old team, in the Packers. But quietly, we have the Deshaun Watson going at the Texans. But wait, he's not the quarterback. And actually, (laughs) that's the most compelling part to me is what happens if the Browns win this game? Of course, they're the five seed. They take the Texans. Uh, theoretically, if, if if everything were to go the way Vegas has it favored right now, you'd have the Browns face the Chiefs, which I, I think the Chiefs aren't very good either, uh, or the Bills. And uh, you could make the case that the Browns will be at least close in both those contests. And then you're one game away from the Super Bowl, despite having your $250 million guaranteed quarterback now out for the past three months. I mean, there's going to be some real. Funny, as a non-Browns fan, they are funny questions to me. What you do with Deshaun Watson and Joe Flacco, and if Flacco returns or whatever else, those won't be answered today, and I think that's the, that's the fun part is we're just going to enjoy really good football. That offense looks significantly better. There will be turnovers from Joe Flacco, but the way he's able to move the ball downfield in Kevin Stefanski's uh, system has his really just been peak. I feel like Vikings, Kevin Stefanski, but also what the Browns have done, too. Uh, and It's been a joy to watch, and I think – for a lot of people you get to first see cj stroud on the big stage um i've been watching a lot i was really interested in the texans by like week five onward when i realized they were actually a good football team but we're going to see i think the world gets to see what kind of quarterback cj stroud is and a win already puts him in rarefied air among rookie quarterbacks i mean he might solidify himself as a top 12 quarterback in year one if he's able to beat this vaunted Browns defense
1: Joe, as we look with a little bit of an eye towards the future in the playoffs, too, I, I know a lot of people are wondering about what Kansas City will ultimately do. Obviously, the, the problems at receiver all season long, just kind of underwhelming, and the fact that they uh, are not on their home field. Uh, they are this week, obviously, against Miami. But if if Chalk holds, they would have to win two road playoff games to make it to the Super Bowl so what is your confidence level maybe not in Patrick Mahomes specifically but just as the entirety of the Kansas City Chiefs and their ability to to kind of play a little just just flat out better than they have this year
8: yeah and I and I had a brain fart you had kind of outlined the standings part correctly and I think that's important so if the Browns were to win against the Texans like I think they will but everything else stays chalk you'll have the Chiefs Bills Browns Ravens interesting matchup when it comes to that but I, I actually think the Chiefs-Bills one is compelling in, in the sense that, man, October, November, we had buried the Bills. They weren't going to make the playoffs. It had been a disappointing year. The Matt Milano injury, and Ron, uh, Von Miller, stuff like that, Tre'Davious White, all these guys being major pieces out, no shot. And the Chiefs were kind of turning the corner. They had an ugly start to August. that You could see clearly the issues with Kadarius Tony and Marquez Valdez-Scantling and the lack of consistent use of Rasheed Rice and Travis Kelsey, and you're like, oh, this isn't the Chiefs' offense that I normally know it is, but they still have Mahomes. Pacheco looks like a stud. And if we we're going to have that matchup next week, Chiefs-Bills, it's going to be completely reversed. Man, Josh Allen looks rejuvenated. The, the James Cook uh, refactoring into the offense is fantastic. They're doing this without Stephon Diggs, right? There's going to be a lot of these accolades that you're throwing at Buffalo, but yet it's still a team that cannot beat KC in the postseason. Maybe the home field advantage matters, Maybe there's just Mahomes Magic. We'll have to see. I would lean towards the Bills, I think, in that scenario, and I think pretty confidently as well. But I have been picking the Bills to beat and to to get to the AFC Championship and emerge as Super Bowl contenders for years now, and they haven't been able to. Can this be the year? We'll, we'll, We'll find
1: out. And Joe, we do want to ask you about head coaching openings, but of course, we want to get your thoughts. Again, we've i uh, certainly enjoyed uh, being able to talk with you throughout the season about fantasy and about the league in general, uh, and we know it's starting to come to a close here. So we do want to go ahead and get your thoughts on uh, what you think the likely Super Bowl matchup is. I know the 49ers and Ravens are favorites to most. Or are they the favorites to you?
8: I think it's going to be the Bills. Uh, I just talked to little earlier. I, I don't know if the Ravens will lose in the divisional round to the Browns or they'll lose uh, – in the conference run, but I, I, I just – and I, I have been the, the token Lamar Jackson guy for his entire career. I love Lamar Jackson. Uh, any playoff lack of success, I've really attributed to Greg Roman, if anything else. And um, if you were to lose again, I, I highly doubt it would be Lamar Jackson's fault. It the defense or whatever else. It just doesn't feel like a team that can rattle off three straight wins. Like, I don't know if they can really get hot enough. And especially after uh, they had lost Keaton Mitchell, who was really the game-breaker on offense, I thought, at times. That's a big blow that no one's going to be talking about if they were to get eliminated early. So, I'm leaning towards the Bills because I think they have the easiest path. Again, you take the Steelers; that should be a win. They're favored by 10 points this week. If everything goes chalk, they're facing the Chiefs. I still think the Bills are prohibitive favorites in that case. And then you see that the Browns, Ravens, which I, they match up well in both those. And then the Niners get like the easiest cakewalk. They are not the 49ers might not have a competent opposition until the Super Bowl, depending on how the NFC breaks out. I mean, it, it was bad to begin the year. It was Niners, Eagles, and then nothing. And now that the Eagles are nothing, it, it just doesn't, again, I, I have zero belief in Mike McCarthy. So that's where this is from. I think the Niners kind of walk in there and at minus 120 right now to make the Super Bowl. It isn't, it isn't favorable betting odds, but they, they seem like clear-cut favorites. I don't know who wins that matchup, but that's how I kind of project it to be.
1: And then, Joe, I'm going to throw a couple of situations here at you real quick and and try and uh, get your thoughts on these big ones. So uh, first, there was surprising NFL head coaching news today, and that was that Pete Carroll uh, was being let go and and moving to a different role with the Seahawks. Uh, Your thoughts on that decision from Seattle?
8: Yeah, and it was followed by surprising news yesterday that Mike Rabel had also been fired by the Titans. And that that fancy situation in Tennessee is far more bleak than it is in Seattle. But – I, I was actually shocked by that one. Not so much the Rabel thing. You know, I think Mike Rabel is easily a top-eight coach in the league. I have not been a proponent of Pete Carroll's for some time. Uh, as somebody who lived through the Phil Mary and the 2014 NFC Championship game, I just have a, a natural hatred to the Seahawks. So I recognize that any statements I'm saying should be couched because I'm biased. I, I very much so am. I don't think the NFL offense that Pete Carroll wants to run is an offense that can successfully win football games in the year 2023 or 20 for 24. I, I, the, it's not that the game has passed him by, and I think actually he does a really good job of getting the most out of the players that he has. But there's a certain cap to that, you know, limiting your possessions, uh, playing mistake-free football, yada, yada, yada. But it's, it's still not a team in an offensive scheme that is going to win in today's day and age, and I think take advantage of the rules and necessitations of the offense with past appearance calls, stuff like that. So that you have Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet, two second-round running backs back-to-back years, you still have D.K. Metcalf, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. I think Geno Smith, especially this year, is totally fine at quarterback. But you have pieces. That's going to be an interesting offense. And if, let's just say, a Ben Johnson or one of these really hot offensive corners, Ben Slowick, um, becomes the head coach and, and brings over personnel to build upon that scheme, not just run it the way it has been in whatever teams they were, that's a really attractive spot to me. And I think for the first time in a long time will pose competition to the 49ers in the nfc west
1: and then a two-parter to close that are not necessarily related but uh, want to get in uh again our our listenership and uh the the fact that we do the falcons games here uh so what's what's the move for atlanta uh in trying to best position themselves to utilize the great weaponry they have and then the other part of that again not necessarily related uh with bill belichick in new england curious to see your view of, of that situation
8: Yeah, uh, so Sunday, week 18, games end. uh, As a fantasy analyst, my job uh, for the year is effectively done. I threw a party, not so much that my season was over, but because at 12.01 a.m. Eastern time, Arthur Blank did us all, everyone (laughs) in the entire world, a massive favor by removing Arthur Smith from the equation. I don't know if that unlocks Kyle Pitts. I don't know if that means Drake London and B. John Robinson are guaranteed top ten fantasy options. But those guys are all incredibly talented. And the last thing that I ever want to talk about is, will John U. Smith catch more passes than Kyle Pitts? Stop. Please, for the love of God, stop. So thank you, our. Uh, you You made my life so much easier, even though there's no guarantees in life with Kyle Pitts, and Drake London, and B. John Robinson. Those guys should be electric players. And I think because you pulled the cord early and with what appears to be one of the bed, best head coaching candidacies uh free can that you say of of decades now. I don't know if it's the Falcons are shopping for the Bill Belchakes of the world or I don't think they're in a Jim Harbaugh situation, but they can easily attract a top offensive mind, much like I think the Chargers could too with Justin Herbert and completely change the trajectory of the teams just by making a, a mildly good call. It doesn't have to be a smart call. You don't have to like strike gold with D'Amico Ryan. I think the Falcons are in a great spot to attract any number of people, and I don't know what it is or who they'll be after. I would hope an offensive mind. I think what they did in free agency with Jesse uh, Bates in particular, they improved the defense. Now let's make sure those top ten picks look like what we think they can look like. And uh, I'm really interested by that. I, I would assume with Bill Belichick, the Patriots bring back Mike Vrabel. I think they had uh, there. There was already those talks about trading Vrabel that the, the Titans' owner had met, uh, said that they didn't want to do. I think the Patriots had already done that. And then knowing that Rabel would become available, they have more or less told Belly that he's going somewhere else. And I think he will go to Los Angeles to try to get that wins record uh, all-time over Don Shula, with Justin Herbert and turn that team around a little bit. That's that's the way I envision things uh, kind of shaping out.
1: He's Joe Bartle of RotoWire joining us today, as he has all football season long. Uh, Joe, again, we certainly appreciate the time. How can our listeners follow your work in the off season, then, with all the other great things that RotoWire has to offer?
8: Yeah, I talked about it a little bit earlier. But I've been uh, doing my weekly betting article every single Tuesday. Uh, that's going to carry on throughout the postseason. So we had the, the Super Wildcard Weekend breakdown picked all six games i thought some interesting prop bets too if you're doing season long uh well playoff playoff long i should say prop bet options. that's available on my twitter jb fantasy sports you can find it i will still be doing podcasts especially kind of recapping and preparing entering the nfl draft what teams are going to do throughout for agency uh that will really start in earnest probably march-ish or february too and you know that'll be available again on my twitter jb fantasy sports otherwise roto has you covered, I think, what, we're now five weeks away, four weeks away from pitchers and catchers reporting uh, fantasy baseball is right around the corner, but also college basketball, you know, with March Madness, we're getting close to that point. A few, few months away, I understand, but uh, still plenty to do in that regard. dot slash try gets you a three-day free trial um, to the site. You can see all that coverage, all the NFL postseason stuff, NBA as well too, and we have you covered no matter what sport it is, what you're interested in doing.
1: Joe, again, we've certainly appreciated the time with that, uh, with you throughout the football season. Uh, we wish your Packers good luck here in the postseason, and we look forward to catching up again with you down the line.
8: All right. Thanks, guys, for having me on.
1: That is Joe Bartle of RotoWire joining us today on Sports Call. We're going to take another timeout. We'll start to wind down this crazy edition of Sports Call. That's included Bruce Pearl, football, Nick Saban, coaching vacancies, all sorts of things. We'll start to wrap it up. Right after this, you're listening to the Wednesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
0: May we have your attention, please? Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Hi, my name is Auburn. Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Let's get back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Feel free to give us a call at 334-887-3401 or toll free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9.
1: Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan Lavoie, Cam Barry, Tom Peavy with you here on this Wednesday edition of the program. Uh, and all the madness did not want to forget, we do have a ticket giveaway uh, today. And uh, it is for Auburn Women's Basketball. They are taking on mighty LSU this weekend on Sunday inside of Neville Arena. So if you would like to give us a call right now, two free tickets to Auburn versus LSU women's basketball on Sunday inside of Neville Arena. Again, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-889-TIGER9 and you can win two tickets to Auburn and LSU women's basketball this Sunday. All right, so obviously the huge news today, Nick Saban retiring from Alabama. Again, it will be very interesting to see how the process uh, kind of takes form uh, with the the big replacement that they're going to have to make, with uh, how quickly they're able to move, how many players they can keep out of the portal. Uh, it's unfortunate that, that again, uh, for as crazy as life goes on, and they're going to have to figure out uh, a different uh, – a different approach there. Yeah, you can do that. But certainly for Auburn uh, and uh, everyone around the SEC, uh, it is a – of course you want to respect it, but also it's an exciting day uh, <laughs> because Nick Saban and Alabama have uh, ruled this league if and really this sport for about yeah. 15 years. Seriously. And uh, that's just the fact of the matter, and it makes things uh, way more palatable to try to figure out life – Uh, moving forward in this league. Obviously, Georgia and Kirby Smart now have built something that uh, we'll see what kind of legs it has and and how uh, deep that goes. But, uh, when I mean, again, we can beat around the bush all we want. When Auburn's biggest rival is the pinnacle of the sport for more than a decade, uh, it's not great. Uh, It's not great, coupled with the fact that Auburn has had a couple of its uh, most disappointing years, probably a program history, during this time period, you think mm-hmm, of 2012, mm-hmm. uh, you think of even uh, last year uh, in 2022 uh, was uh, was an awful year, uh, and, and some other disappointing years in between there. So uh, mm-hmm. that sandwich between now Georgia coming up, it's been rough. It's been rough. I mean, there's there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Uh, now you turn the page, though, and, and now you, you get through – Uh, That time period, and now everyone has the same opportunity to try to uh, start to eat away at what Alabama uh, has right now, but then also to try and reshuffle the deck there at the top of the SEC. At a time, though, where you've got more playoff spots, more access to a national championship, uh, and now, uh, look, it's very possible Alabama hires somebody puts them in the playoff year in, year out, but... Uh, it's going to be hard, uh, really impossible, to duplicate what was just done for 15 years.
2: Yeah, very, very hard to duplicate what's been done for 15 years. Uh, I don't know. You know, it's just I just I just feel a little a little lighter, don't you, Ryan? Don't you? Don't you, Tom? Do you feel a little lighter? Just a little. Hey, like, like maybe, yeah. Maybe just kind of like like on clouds a little bit or something like that. I, I think just,
3: I think most Auburn folks are right now, just because. <laughs> This is I, gonna open it,
2: so much for recruiting. It's gonna be it's gonna be wild, I it,
3: think. It, it it does that. It opens up the opportunity for Auburn to to kind of take control of some things and uh yeah, I mean there there's there's a lot of people out I and I hate I hate to say the word dead because the man hasn't died, but the whole, you know, ding dong the witch is dead. Type thing. Yes, it, it, it's what it feels like for Auburn folks. That's what it feels like. It, it feels like the the wicked witch is done, and now, you know, we're it free. just we're free. It just it feels like that because, you know, Nick Saban. I will say it again. You can dislike Alabama, you can dislike Nick Saban, but you have to respect what he did. And as Auburn fans, you have to respect and understand that they have put Auburn down and have been able to hold Auburn down, even though Auburn was able to get some wins over him. He took Alabama to a level that Auburn hopes to one day achieve. But I think everybody felt that as long as Saban was there, Auburn was not going to be able to get to that level. And now that he is gone, it feels like, it feels like uh, the elephant has gotten off your chest now. And, you know, the proverbial Crimson Tide elephant (laughs) is now off your chest. I saw what you were doing. And you can breathe. That's what it feels like.
1: Uh, Yeah. Uh, And, again, it's going to be fascinating to see what they hire. I mean, again, we're going to talk more about it tomorrow. We'll also have to get to, again, more Auburn OC and D.C. stuff. And we've talked a good bit about that in the last couple days, too, but continue to provide updates on on that. Uh, But, Tom, do you – I don't know how to frame this. Right. Take it however you want to, but – a, if you're Alabama, uh, if you if you're you, I mean, what what, how would you go about this searching process? Who would be your first call, second call, etc.? Uh,
3: I mean, obviously, if you're Alabama, you're 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 Alabama, and so you're gonna shoot for the stars and and try to do that. Um, I I think Dan Lanning uh, at Oregon is the guy that makes sense right now. Um, I think Dabo makes sense. But Dabo has kind of fallen off there with Clemson a little bit. And it's because
2: he refuses to use in, uh, NIL and transfer and, portal, right? And it,
3: yes, and, yeah. and he's been very much against that. And it's like, well, guess what? If you go to Alabama, then that's what you're going to have to yeah. do. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> bread and butter.
2: I mean, even college football so, in general, you'll get left behind at this point in time if right. you don't do that.
3: Yeah. But again, I, I'm going to say this also. What coach wants that job right now? Because the whole theory is whenever you have a legendary coach that steps down, you don't want to be the guy that replaces him. You want to be the guy that replaces the guy that replaced him. You want to be the second guy in line because whoever takes over, the expectations are just astronomical. And most of the time, that person that takes over is not able to live up to those expectations. So whoever takes over for that person is the guy that can then build it back up. Um, So now does a guy like Dan Lanning want that job? Does he want to leave what he has built at Oregon to take on a monumental responsibility to replace Nick Saban? Does Dabo Sweeney want to leave what he has built at Clemson and what he is still trying to get Clemson back to, to take over granted his alma mater, but to take over and the responsibilities that it is to replace Nick Saban. I don't know that. I don't know that there are coaches that are willing to do that, but I'm sure there's somebody that is. And uh that's gonna be the big question. Uh but I think Dan Lanning makes sense. Uh Dabo obviously makes sense. I think you know, Steve Sarkeesian makes sense, but you know, are you gonna be able to get Sarkeesian away from what he's doing at Texas right now? You know, I and and, and Cam shaking his head. No, I agree, I don't think so. Of course, the name Kirby Smart's going to get thrown out there. Why the hell would Kirby Smart leave what he's got at Georgia? That is his alma mater. That is his school. Right. He is making himself a legend. Why in the world would you leave what you're doing there to, again, take on the monumental responsibilities of being the guy to replace Saban when you are becoming Saban yourself?
1: Well, Tom, I will, I will say this. I will say, remember when you were a couple, I guess a few weeks ago, uh when you were talking about, oh, Texas A&M should at least just call Kirby Smart mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. I think that uh, there would be the same thing in this instance. I definitely think it would be valid to do that. I think Alabama would have to call him. Right. You no, know, I mean again, they're gonna he's gonna tell him no. But that's the one school. is the one school that if you don't look like an absolute clown calling Kirby Smart, that would be uh, that sure. would be the one to do it. But uh, you know, I think that. Uh, well, we do have some more breaking news, real quick here. Uh, and it's, uh, I've got, we're about out of time for the show. But, well, they,
3: uh, but these are the dominoes that are going to fall. But, uh, these are the dominoes that will fall when you have right. news like this.
1: But uh, Ryan Williams has decommitted uh, officially from Alabama. Uh, Freeze again, five, baby. Here we so, go. So, again, that is the kind of stuff, as you said. Uh, Auburn is already in line to have the last visit with him there in the month of February. I believe signing day is the seventh. And I think there's – Visits are all coming that weekend uh, prior, uh, and he's going to commit, I think, on his birthday. I don't yeah. know what exactly is his birthday. I guess I it's, in, it's in it's February. That, it's February something. Yeah,
3: it's around that something, yeah. February um, the 9th, maybe, something like that. Uh,
1: so, but Ryan Williams has decommitted from Alabama. And, uh, again, Texas is the other one that no. I, I, I don't – you got to open a lot of things up again. It's not just Auburn's opportunity. Right. It, you, Texas has a visit with them too. It's Alabama, Texas, and Auburn with visits to them. So I don't want to just go ahead and you know just put them in the put them in the basket there. But uh, that's going to be somebody that that Auburn obviously going to feel for all the world. They're they're <sighs> going to end up getting and, yes. and they and they need to get at this point with what's happening there so well, if
3: you've watched any, any of him playing he is not a guy you want to play against no like you want no. that dude on Longer your team roster, you want him holy crap, crap you need him on he your team he is a game changer yeah he, uh, he is a legit heisman trophy type guy he's an absolute
1: game changer of yeah. a player so uh that's about it for this show today i i'm Man. all breaking news out personally mean, jesus we yeah. started did we, today did having we, did a, we do
3: anything today
1: we started today having a good honest conversation with head basketball coach of Auburn university bruce pearl uh and then the world changed in college football <laughs> with nick saban retiring and we've talked about that and now ryan williams the big auburn target officially decommitting uh, from alabama we'll have more on all that on tomorrow's show of course if you missed anything from today's show go check it out On the Sports Call podcast, available wherever you may get your podcast. Uh, And, again, it's presented by Coca-Cola. We do need to get to the nightly TV
0: guide real quick, so let's get to it. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's nightly TV guide. All right,
1: Sports Calls Nightly TV Guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Real quickly, there is men's college basketball that is good tonight. Number 21, Clemson at Virginia Tech. That's 6 o'clock on ESPN2. Number 7, North Carolina at NC State, 7 o'clock on ESPN. Women's college basketball, Oklahoma visits number 12, Kansas State, 6 o'clock on ESPNU. National Hockey League, Minnesota Wild, Dallas Stars, 630 TNT. In the National Basketball Association, 7.30 on ABC. Golden State Warriors hosting the New Orleans Pelicans. And a movie pick, 6 o'clock on Freeform. It's Despicable Me 2. And that's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. And that is it for this Wednesday edition of the show. Tom Peavy, thank you for being here today. May no more, no more news break today. That's enough for one day. This
3: has been a memorable day. Uh, it's, yes, sir. it's one of those that we what? will all forever remember Sitting here in this studio serious, when this happened sir. today.
1: You have a good rest of your week. We'll absolutely. see you again next week. Cam Barry, thank you for being here today. Yeah. We'll see you again on Friday.
2: Yeah, glad to be here. Uh, I'm glad I didn't take the day off, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was in play. That was in play. And I can't wait you to. You battle to, through and you're yeah, glad. Got there, to. Absolutely. There are good
1: things for those that keep fighting through adverse circumstances. Yeah. That will do it for the show today. We want to thank Bruce Pearl, Auburn's basketball head coach, for joining us, and Joe Bartle of RotoWire. wire And, of course, we thank all those that tuned in and called in for today for TP Hammock, Cam Barry, and Tom Peavy. My name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Wednesday night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.